You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Thunder Quack Perfect 10. I am your host, as always, Michael Cohen. Uh, and uh, I am I am so excited for this episode. Uh, we have a returning guest, um, our second returning guest. We had Joe return not that long ago. Uh, and, now, uh, and now we've got, uh, l- listen, everybody else who's ever been on the podcast, I hope that you understand that this is no disrespect to anybody else. But this is my favorite guest. And uh, I'm sure that she's going to be a little bit uh, bashful about that and very, very uh, uh, humble about it. But I, this is my absolute favorite person to have on this specific type of a show because I, I, what, what we do on Perfect 10 is we talk about things that we love, but we talk about them in like a deep way where we can actually like pull apart, look at it and go what, like, you know, see it from different angles and all of that sort of thing and, and inspect what is it about it that makes this a perfect 10. Right. And, uh, and, and this individual I think is one of the best people on the internet at doing this. One of my absolute favorites. And that is Ty Black from uh, Wit and Folly. Hi Ty. Thank you for being back on the show. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I, I can, uh, you know, kind of pat myself on the back a little bit for that because tomorrow's my birthday. So I feel like I can, you know, <laughs> be a little bit. <laughs> a that's little even bit better. Cool about that. that I makes know, it even right? Uh, well, so happy birthday then from me and everybody listening to this, although podcasts are in liminal space. And so somebody could be listening to this six years from now, but, uh, (laughs) well on this day, (laughs) yeah, we exist outside of time and space for the listener, but, uh, but in this moment, happy birthday tomorrow. Um, thanks. (laughs) And I, I, this is, this is great because, um, we, we have, we have unintentionally, stepped into a trilogy of episodes because on yes. this one we're going to talk about the movie Casanova I uh, and uh, this is another film starring Heath Ledger the last episode for folks who maybe haven't listened to the older ones the last episode that Ty was on we talked about a Knight's Tale <laughs> starring yep. Heath Ledger so um we will round this out with a third one because I uh, <laughs> uh, we're both Star Wars fans uh, and uh, trilogies that's just that's it's just what you have to do, right? It's, so it's how, it's how our minds work. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible. Once you've done a second one, you have to do a third one to close it out. Yep. We will, but we'll talk about that later. Right now, yep. we're going to talk about the movie Casanova, which yeah. I let's just jump right into it because we don't we don't need any more uh, rigmarole or anything like that because because hopefully everybody's already listened to your night's tale episode and they know all about you and uh and so we can just get right into casanova and i'm gonna start with the question that i always start with which is i for those who have no idea uh which actually might be a bigger part of the audience than than usual (laughs) Mm -hmm. um what what is casanova Hmm. So, 
Casanova is a 2005 film starring Heath Ledger, obviously. And it came about in a time when I think, especially with Heath Ledger's uh, filmography, he was doing a lot of heavy stuff. He was coming off of like, you know, things like Brokeback Mountain and Monsters Ball and like even, you know, more heavier stuff than that. And he was like, oh, breath of fresh air. And in the film landscape as well, it was the same thing. It was like, you know, it was a breath of fresh air, but also it was incredibly sexy and funny and from a, it had a very heavy feminine perspective in it. Uh, and especially in a, time period piece something that's set in a in, in venice which is a real place but it felt very fantastical it feels very like like the venice that your mom reads about in her you know er erotic novels sort of thing <laughs> but with kind of this like new modern updated twist on it you know and with with people who are younger youthful people uh you know that are representing our you know uh leads and it's just, it's such a fascinating thing, I think, and, it, and it's, it came out in such an interesting time where we could still get away with that sort of thing, but also the critical reception was not very good. Mm. Um, even the audience reception wasn't very good. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes now, it's, you know, seems like a failure of a, of a movie, which I think keeps people from watching it. But it's not something you should avoid. It's Heath Ledger. It's Sienna Miller. It's like it's got this incredible cast, which we can oh talk about God. as. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. And you shouldn't skip it because it hits all the right notes for that kind of film. As long as you go into it knowing it's a romantic comedy, it's a time period. And it's just it does things with the his the history that I think are really fun and really uh, almost solves some of the problems with Casanova's true story, which is also mm. something I would like to touch upon. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting film because of everything that you just said, like, like when it, when it was made in his career and also at that point in, in Hollywood, like it, it is, it's a bit of an odd duck, right? Like, yeah. It, but the funny thing is, is that it actually, um, and in, in sort of the conversation that we're going to have in the context of having talked about a knight's tale almost a year ago, this is actually an incredible follow-up to that. Like, yeah, it, it shares so much of the sort of that like wry wit and I, uh, and just sort of like, like the, Hey, Yes, this is a period story, but there's a little bit of anachronism in here. There's a little bit of like, like, hey, let's not ever address the fact that this is a story that takes place in Italy and everybody's speaking in British accents. It's <laughs> like, but it, it, it has, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we recorded, it has like a very Shakespeare sort of lens over yes. top of the whole thing, um, which Shakespeare loved Venice as a setting. Uh, mm -hmm. So so like that that makes perfect sense um so it's almost to me it almost feels like a, a modern reinterpretation of like a lost shakespeare story right oh, like that, absolutely that's yeah. that's the vibe which is which is such a great i uh, i like follow up like i said to um to, to a knight's tale, a knight's tale which yeah. is which is chaucer right but mm -hmm. but is 
still like in that same we're set, we're in that same sort of zone right we're in that same yeah. english literary um zone so i uh, w- mm-hmm. with these very like heightened arch characters um but uh really deep and meaningful themes that tie yeah. it all together so mm-hmm. it it's it, it it is it is funny because it, it it feels almost like if you look at at his filmography and you look in, at IMDb and the, and, and sort of the progression of things, you can see that, yeah, he was going on like this more, like heading towards this more dramatic side of things. And then all of a sudden here's this detour back into the types of movies that, that got him there, which mm-hmm. like, like, like a night's tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so and 10 things, which was yeah, also earlier. Right. Exactly. So it's like, it's all, it's, you almost get the sense that he did it because it was an opportunity to jump back into that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He said it in an interview, I think around that time when the movie was coming out that he wanted to get away from some of the heavier stuff. And you could tell it was kind of messing with his head mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Um, Cause he was a very like, I mean, no one can deny like he was a very sensitive person person uh the press like was difficult for him like being in the spotlight in general is very difficult for him but he was an artist first and foremost so jumping into this kind of lighter role was something that he really needed as like a mental break from some of the other stuff he was doing um and he and he like says that himself so and i just it that's why i think it's so nice watching a movie like this to know that the actor was in a in a good place I guess, mm-hmm. uh, because it even though it's de- it's dealing with very like vulnerable stuff, like we're de- we're talking about a movie that has like a lot of sexual content, um, but it's all done very like lightheartedly, and mm-hmm. clearly the people who <laughs> made it were having a fun time with it. Yeah. So I, I like that aspect of it as well. <laughs> it's a, it's also very interesting to me because it feels like a movie that's a like. Like in terms of content and and um, and sort of the overall like feminist vibe of it, it feels mm-hmm. like something that's a little bit closer to contemporary now. Although mm-hmm. at the same time, there's a lot of content in this movie that I don't feel like would get made today, right? No. They they uh, in in the current climate, it like like no studio would touch this. So yeah. it's a uh, it it's it's really interesting that it exists in that because i think i think one of the things of like the critical and and audience reception at the time is that it's actually ahead of its time right yeah like if i think about where i was at in 2005 with my own personal journey with feminism i wouldn't have received this movie in the same way (laughs) as i do now um Because even back then, it's so funny. I mean, you can listen to me on on uh, Quiver the Green Arrow podcast with my co-host Amanda back in like the early years of that, which isn't quite as far back as 2005. That's more like right. 2012. So it's not even mm-hmm. that long. I, mean, I guess it's over 10 years ago now. But um, mm-hmm. I was very I was very well known for saying I'm not a feminist. I'm an egalitarian because I needed to like equivocate <laughs> that. Because at the time, like, like, that's just like, I think that's where we were, right? Like, like, for men, especially, it's like, but it but to be a feminist is like, you know, like that, like a man hating feminist, like, that's what everybody thought of at the time, right? I think in 2005, even more so, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to now we say feminist, and it just means somebody who, who cares about equality, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I, 
yeah like, like fights for women's place yeah exactly, fights for yeah. women's place at the table yeah yeah it's interesting how that's all changed so yeah. <laughs> so much so radically like i mean i was I, i'm similar to you like i was very much radicalized you know in a positive way like online and through fandom mm-hmm. and whatnot and mm-hmm. um i grew up in a very like conservative place and i've become so different i've grown up a lot and you know i'm i am an adult now with my own thoughts and stuff (laughs) and i think it's so funny that like when i watched this movie this was like even back then even then even uh you know college me uh who that so i would have watched this probably this was already years after it had come out it was i probably watched around 2010 2011 and so when i saw it because i a genuine like genuinely what made me watch it was Heath Ledger mm-hmm. um I was obsessed with him uh absolutely obsessed with him and you know he died uh 2008 I think yeah. uh and that was like I I was I got interested in his movies after he had died mm-hmm. so I was kind of going on this binge of like who was this person like why is he so captivating on film and uh just really watching all of his filmography and I think this one this one was interesting for me because I was like, why don't they make more movies like this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it just seems like such an easy jump because I think one of the writers for Casanova was also a writer for Stage Beauty, which is another one of the films I watched when I was in college that I was obsessed with. It's uh, Claire Danes and it's a phenomenal, phenomenal movie uh, that's about, you know, women being unable to well, not not necessarily. It's 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 about uh, ugh, not even going to go into it. It's a lot of gender bent type of mm. stuff happening in that movie. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, and another one that he wrote, I think, was The Duchess. So, and this is just one of the writers. There was a lot of writers on Casanova. That's another thing we won't get into. But a lot of people touched the script, mm. and the one person that is credited with the original story of of the script. Uh, this was her only screenplay. This was her only screenplay credit. Uh, and then everyone who touched it were all men who have other credits uh, who like basically fixed it for the screen. So, so yeah, it's just, it's like, it's a really odd, like you said, it's an odd duck of a film. It's, it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense for how this was made. And I, I like genuinely, for me, at least, it was something that I needed at the time when I watched it. I really needed it. Didn't realize I needed it. And like I said, I I really wish there was more out there like it. Yeah, I mean, it it is. It's it's a it, there's a catch twenty two on that though, right? Because I think that movies mm-hmm. like this are special because they're rare. <laughs> like it's that's it's a good point. Those, <laughs> it's one of those things of like every once in a while you stumble on something like this that that has this sort of quality to it, and you're like, because I agree. I'm like, man, why don't they make more movies like this? But then at the same time, it's like, well, because because you just literally can't. Like you just literally yeah. can't, right? Um, yeah. Was it like it, Adam Driver says like every movie is a miracle? Like it's yeah. at that one time about yeah. movies getting made, and it's true. <laughs> yeah, well, and to say like like this is the only screenwriting credit uh, of of one of the writers, it's like that's right. actually not that surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, because of the movie that it is, right? But but mm-hmm. even just in general, I mean, writing a screenplay is so hard. I. Uh, it's one of one of two things happens. You write a screenplay, you put everything into it, 
and it becomes a movie eventually, you know, and maybe that movie is yeah. not what you originally had, had created as the writer, but it eventually gets there. Right. Um, yeah. And then you never get that opportunity ever again, because you've poured everything you had into that one thing and you're just never able to follow that up or you just have no desire to, or you're like a Roberto Orsi and Robert Kurtzman I, I type of individual where it's like you just pump out garbage after garbage after garbage regardless <laughs> uh, right and every once in a while the 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 generic blah stuff that you're writing makes it into the hands of somebody who can you know spin straw into gold and mm-hmm. you get you get star trek in 2009 which like the same guys who wrote that are the same ones who are writing transformers movies so it's like like you know uh, it it just hollywood makes no sense um yeah true and and that's where i think if we're going to talk about this movie in the context of like it's a is it a perfect 10 what makes it a perfect 10 it is exactly this quality because that's Mm. i think that's why i defined that term for myself right because yeah Perfect 10 is not about, is this one of the best movies ever made? I'm not going to argue with anybody about that fact. It's like, I don't know that we need a criterion version of this or anything like that. But, (laughs) but there is, there's an ineffable quality about art that sometimes it just connects and sometimes it just doesn't. And sometimes it can be for all of the very predictable and understandable and dissectable reasons like something like star wars where we can yeah. we can really really pinpoint it and go like here are the things and then we can actually distill that into a formula and make a thousand movies every year exactly like it and not all <laughs> of them are going to be star wars but you know you're going to get a bunch of stuff that's entertaining right like like yeah. by by distilling that formula and then there are other things like this that it's just like i don't know this is just a perfect storm it's just a perfect storm. It's it's very well written. The directing is totally on point. Um, the 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 setting and and the art direction is all like pristine. So yeah. so perfect for this story. And then it just miraculously has this cast of people who come to play and absolutely understand the assignment from top to bottom (laughs) and that like like you just if you had made this movie five years earlier or five years later it 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 might not have come together in the same way right um because it's just those actors at that time i want to i actually want to just read off the actors that i think are the most notable in this for everybody yes heath ledger sienna miller jeremy irons oliver platt lena olin and then we get, uh, there's a few other people, but we don't really know these actors that well. But then we get down the list and then we've got Charlie Cox and Natalie Dormer, just like <laughs> in, in supporting roles. And now we consider like Charlie Cox and Natalie Dormer would be like the headliners, oh, yeah. right? Um, yeah. and we're, we're watching the movie the other night, me and Crystal and, uh, and, and, you know, like Giovanni is so adorable and, and, and cute. And, uh, and, and you just want to give him a hug. And I'm like, you know, that's daredevil. Right. And she goes, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's daredevil. Like the last time we saw him on screen, I, uh, he was, uh, uh, hooking up with She-Hulk. Uh, yeah. so it's I know. Like, it's crazy. It's so insane. And he's become yeah. such a, like, 
that's I mean, excuse me, but he's a sex pot. Like he yeah. is oh, so absolutely. hot. Yeah. And then you have like Sienna Miller who uh, you know, we were watching the movie Me and My Husband <laughs> the other night too, and he was like oh my God, she's, she's from, she's from. And like, both of us were like getting tripped up on it. Finally, I looked it up and I was like, anatomy of a scandal. Cause we had watched that show fairly mm. recently. And I was like, oh my God, like she's huge too. And obviously the guy who plays uh, Paprizio is from, he's also in the bear, which yeah. blew my mind. But yeah, oh, this cast oh, is incredible. Yeah. Oliver Platt is one of my favorite character actors. Like if I didn't, I didn't know he was in this. Like I didn't, I didn't look at (laughs) anything before we started watching the movie. I just knew, okay, Heath Ledger and Sienna Miller. So I didn't know he was in it. I didn't know Jeremy Irons was in it. Um, I did. I had seen something that that I saw. Okay. Charlie Cox is in it. I think maybe I watched like, like a trailer or something like that. But um, yeah. So I I knew that Charlie Cox was going to As people are like introduced, you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Oliver Platt shows up and I like, I like a, like a giddy child. Like I clapped. I was like, I was like, Oh, 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 oh!" I was so excited. And then immediately he just starts chewing the scenery and I'm like, yes, yes, this is, this is because sometimes Oliver Platt shows up in dramatic stuff and he's a very serious actor and he's don't get me wrong. Phenomenal at that stuff too. But Mm -hmm. when Oliver Platt comes to play, he comes to play. And in this movie, he is just like, allow me to be as silly as possible. Um, (laughs) And it just, he crushes in this role. And like, by by the time we get to the end of the movie, I'm so happy for the character. And it's just, we're we're taking on such a journey with him. And then equally, Jeremy Irons shows up as the bad guy. And I'm just like, yes, Scar, (laughs) right? Like, just, I mean, if you, if you want a villain, like look no further like this is this is the absolute best person for this role um so yeah it's just it's just such an embarrassment of riches and it's as an audience you're just like it it is it feels so much like going to an incredible stage performance of something you're like i can't believe all of these actors are in this play right like it just it has that feeling to it which just lends to that shakespeare thing so completely Um, agree yeah completely it's so shakespearean of that like yeah i couldn't have said that better that's awesome (laughs) um awesome let's 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 jump into a little bit more of like the nitty-gritty because i know you you have have a lot you have a lot of notes you've you've prepped which is one of the things that i love about you (laughs) (laughs) i do i have notes i mean i'm still such a nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff so i do take notes (laughs) so yeah i wanted to like uh, at least give this a uh, scathing quote, the scathing review uh, from Rotten Tomatoes, which is like the first thing that shows up when you Google it, honestly. Um, and it says, this is the review This says this frothy, oddly bloodless film does a disservice to the colorful life of the real Casanova, <laughs> end quote. And I just want to say after I watched or after I, yeah, after I watched this movie when I was in college, I was fascinated by, okay, well, if this person was real, like mm-hmm. what was he like? So I ended up checking out the first volume of Casanova's memoir uh, in the library at my, at my college. And it's very large, the, just the first one uh, of many. And I read it and I was shocked. Like I mm. was like, genuinely shocked the real casanova is the worst person you will ever have known 
ever. Uh, absolutely horrible human being. Uh, one of the most notable things I think that he did, other than his, you know, dalliances with whomever or whatever. I, obviously, he slept with a lot of women. That was, you know, notches on his bedpost type of reputation. But one of the things that he did uh, that actually got him kicked out of Venice one of many times was he dug up a corpse and decided to kind of use it as a prank against someone that he didn't like. And that person went into shock and actually mentally broke and were never the same again. Mm. So <laughs> this is the kind of person that he actually was. And he was very much, I would say, a loser. Uh, he did not ever really live up to very much. And people will hate me for saying this, by the way, because uh, people believe that Casanova was this like great philosopher and whatnot. But if you read about what other people say of him, like alongside his memoir, you see very quickly that uh, he was a he was more of a con man than not, mm. and he was a talker. He was loud, and he had claimed at one point to have found the philosopher's stone. Um, just anything that was hot at the time, he claimed that he knew all about it, knew everything, and that kept him uh, funded, kept him housed for most of his life. And at the very end, his last kind of words that he said were, I lived as a philosopher, but I die as a Christian, uh, which is really funny because he had lived so much of his life uh, trying to not, trying to, you know, not be a mor moral character. Yeah. He was just, but he realized at the end of his life that he really didn't amount to anything. And I think his memoirs are interesting because he did stuff that other people never would have dared to do. So that's what makes him, that's what makes his legacy his legacy. Mm. But we have taken him as a character and that name has become much bigger than him. Yeah. And I think that it is uh, unfair to try to compare this film to cat, like the real Casanova, because if a movie was made about the real Casanova, it would not, it, it wouldn't get by anyone. No one would pick that up. That would not be like, he would he would be ugly first of all mm -hmm. so he wouldn't be attractive so it's just it doesn't it, it works to say hey let's like write this kind of fantasy about casanova as a name as a legacy more as like a don juan character mm -hmm. and less about the actual man in the real life of this man and i think the film that's like the basis of the film and it has so much to say in that area from beginning to middle to end like it's actually really brilliant the way it tackles that theme. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think there's a, there's an interesting component here historically, and I'm no expert on this time period, but like mm -hmm. th there are there are many stories of of Italy and Venice and and like the Mediterranean sort of in in this time period in the 1700s that like it's there's a lot of excess right mm -hmm. like like this is sort of um it's actually not that dissimilar from the time period that we're existing in right now where you got mm -hmm. a lot of very very rich people very living very opulent lives um that that the average person actually can't fathom right, right. and and you create celebrity by virtue of people wanting to just like live through that person's experiences. And I yeah. think that's where you, so like, <laughs> I, 
I did not realize this was a thing that I would end up saying on this podcast, but I think <laughs> that the real Casanova would be like one of the first reality TV celebrities. Oh right? yeah. Like, yeah. like, like his, his actual persona is much more akin to that than it is to like you, you bring up Don Juan, which I think is the archetype that has been sort of ascribed to him after the fact right like over over time the name casanova has especially i think because like just listen to it just say it a couple of times and it's like it just rolls off the tongue it feels beautiful it feels like it should be this character that heath ledger embodies Mm -hmm. and yet the real man was uh was quite disgusting (laughs) right like he was lecherous not uh not romantic right like yeah which is it which is such a big distinction but but mm-hmm. but that time period was actually like very well known for that type of behavior like it's like like he was he was notable in the excess of his behavior but not all of the things that he would do you could accuse so many of like the 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 inner circles and like the noble people of that mm-hmm. time of doing it wasn't i mean like like mm-hmm. like it's it's That's sort true. of touched on in this movie of like venice is this weird it's like vegas right like it's 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 sort of like <laughs> within within italy and like the purview of of the vatican right yes. <clears throat> it's yeah. somehow exempted from its debaucherous behavior right like for some reason because people need in in puritanical societies which which like i mean we're we're, we are in the the era of the inquisition right like the vatican is out there like just persecuting people for whatever they feel like just to assert power and so you have Mm -hmm. this puritanical ideology that's that's prevalent throughout the region and so you have to have a pressure release valve Right. So that's why I say it's like it's like Vegas where it's like, well, you can go to Vegas for a weekend and you can do whatever you want because it's all illegal. It's all legal. All of these things that you're not allowed to do, you can do inside these city limits or just outside these city limits. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you just go to Nevada. It's okay. Everything's fine there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like what happens there stays there. Exactly. And then and then you can go back to Connecticut and act like you didn't. Right. Yeah. And I think that Venice served a similar purpose in this time period. And so yeah. he was, he was just like, he was the mascot of that. I think, I think mm-hmm. is what it ends up being is like, he's the, he's the character that becomes synonymous with all of that. Um, and, and then we romanticize this period because, yeah. because like when you look at the costuming in this movie, you look at the, at the, the setting and everything, Crystal goes, should we go to Venice? And I was like, well, first of all, Venice is sinking. Like it does not look like <laughs> anymore, even in 2005, when they, when they shot this movie, it's like, it, it was sinking. Not, yeah. does not look like this anymore. It's like, yeah, I always love in, in uh, Spider-Man, no way home. They go, uh, not no way home, uh, far from home. They yeah. get to Venice and they get to their hotel and their hotel, the first floor of their hotel is like a foot it's underwater. underwater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's like, yeah, it's Venice is not as romantic as it as it once was. No. Um, and by all accounts, it smells horrible because like <laughs> the, the canals are just basically sewage waterways. And like it just like so I'm like, I'm like, it looks real great on screen. It is not that in real life. There are other places that we can go. I, yeah, that's I, true. But that's but it, but it's funny that like Venice does have that persona in mm-hmm. the same way 
that Casanova has that persona. So they're, they're kind of one in the same. Um, oh, absolutely. So yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Like Venice is so interesting. Cause like real, like, like you were saying, like uh, the real life Venice is like, shouldn't exist. Like it's like kind of floating. It's like this, <laughs> it's sinking it's not floating anymore <laughs> it's sinking and it has it has an expiration date which actually makes it an even better uh sort of setting for this this kind of story with someone with you know casanova's legacy and whatnot which by the way casanova uh continuously was kicked out of venice over and over again he just just as in the movie uh he grew up in padua which was on the mainland uh and then he went into venice uh in adulthood and i you know i think he was kicked out of venice at least two times uh one because he broke out of prison um which was a, a fantastic tale that he wrote down and he kind of lived off of the earnings from that folio for like a long time but he his reputation definitely preceded him he was someone that people equivocated to venice itself and this was also in the age of enlightenment you know tr- like the renaissance and whatnot coming yeah. out of the the middle ages so people were looking to these more like modern anti-church kind of ways of living yeah. and anti-church anti-state that whole thing uh esoteric you know uh practices casanova at one time joined the freemasons uh in france and he actually moved up and he became like you know grand master whatever the whatever the role is in in that in that society and got involved in all of that kind of esoteric stuff but like i said he's he he died a christian you know like he was (laughs) still very traditionalist in that way but he was representative of Mm -hmm. the change that was happening in in that world at that time which is why i think he has such a legacy um but yeah so back to the, the Venice, you know, as this kind of in the movie, especially it's this place that shouldn't exist. And in the movie, I look at it as it's a world of the gods. So it is uh, in the beginning of the movie, the mother, uh, Giacomo's mother, takes him to Padua, takes him out of Venice and says, you have to live here with your grandmother uh, until, you know, you come of age or some sometime or whatever. And the grandmother says, well, it's when I die. So then in adulthood, he moves back to Venice and it's very much uh, reminiscent of like this almost like, you know, like Disney Hercules type of story where uh, he, you know, lives in the land of the gods, but then he's expelled from the land of the gods and he earns his way back in. We don't see that part in the movie, but he earns his way back in um, and he becomes the god of love because his grandmother tells him when he was a child you know this is in your blood this heat of love it's 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 irresistible to to your mother and therefore he takes that as oh well then it's that's me too like i have that within myself as well so that's the way that he is able to cope with his mother leaving him it's his way of kind of signaling to his mom hey i'm here i'm in venice mm-hmm. i'm living to this to this fate that you've set me with essentially i become the god of love like please find me please please come get me um so that's that is the initial beginning of this movie and it's so interesting (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean it, it's it's very much about how our trauma defines us, right? Like oh, he, he's he's told by his grandmother, it's like it's not this isn't your fault. She can't help herself. Mm-hmm. She's she's a, a prisoner to this to this 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 thing in our blood, right? And then he yeah. takes that. She says it as a warning, mm-hmm. right? It's a caution. And if this were a story, if this were an origin story, instead of uh, instead of being like his most epic tale. Um, we would have spent a whole bunch of time, like seeing him sort of rebelling against his grandmother and and and, yeah. and going down this path and and denying that warning over and over and over again in favor of mm-hmm. of like you say like try, he's trying to get the attention of his mother right um, yes like like I like no I am worthy of the adventure that you're on you should have brought me with you right yes um, and that's so sad yeah <laughs> but but it's not the point of this story so we skip. <laughs> We skip right over it. And it's like, listen, sometimes that can be a thing where it's like, especially with superhero movies, people will be like, oh, we got there too fast. With this story, it's like, guys, that's not what we're here for. There is a there's a tragedy in here that creates this character. But that tragedy isn't what we need to focus on. What what we need to focus on is actually um, what ends up being a bit of a redemption, right? Like he's, Absolutely. He, he's gone down this, this path and he isn't, he is lost. And then, and then he finds himself by the end of the story. Right. So I, yep. uh, that's what we're focused on here, how he got to be lost. The only thing we need to know is that first scene, that's it. And then like, mm-hmm. let's just skip right over. And I think a lesser film would have had that middle part, like you brought up, you brought up Disney's Hercules, which it does. We start with him as a baby and then mm-hmm. we see him as a teenager and then we see him as a man. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, Absolutely. which is also, which is, which is also Christ-like by the way. And super. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. We, we skip over that in this one because it's not important. Mm-hmm. It's not important this time. And it would have just, I think it would have pulled the movie down. Right. Like, like, right. To, well, like, it also get right into it. You can't do a you well you could but uh, a, a training montage of Hercules <laughs> bulking up to be a hero yeah. is very different from a training montage <laughs> of Casanova having to yeah. learn what he needs to know. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think like hey, there's a, there's a story there to tell some other time, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't this one. <laughs> yeah, no, this one, this one, it, it's it. We are we are immediately meant to be thrown into, and I love this because we're we're meant to be thrown into him as this lover and we we, mm-hmm. we the first woman that we see him with is uh uh, uh lauren cohen uh, who people would know from the walking dead another yeah. person who's got a huge career now but there was nobody when this when they made this movie um Crazy. and i i he is he is introduced as a heroic uh f- figure but yes. then like we take such a hard, sharp turn the second that he gets into the university and we're introduced to like who is actually the heroic figure of the story. Yes. Um, and and we're given that juxtaposition and it almost like it mm-hmm. stops you in your tracks. It's so to me, it's like so expertly done because it's like, oh, here we're excited. He's going to he's going to fornicate all over Venice. That's what this movie is going to be. <laughs> and then. We just it like stops in its tracks and it's like this woman Stop pulls it. off her mustache and is like, let me tell you why this sort of thing is bad. Um, and feminism yeah. is the thing and what Casanova is doing is wrong without ever saying it. But mm. but by being very, very clear of like he's living in opposition to actual enlightenment and this woman right. is going to help him see the light. Right. It's uh, Yeah. 
that juxtaposition that's presented very early is like so interesting. Um, and I want to go back to the just to the part where he's like running on the rooftops because that's actually, and I won't, I I won't pull out all, I promise I'm not going to pull out all the real life things, but I think this, this particular part is really interesting. Uh, The real life versus the fiction here is that uh, the folio that he released about his escape from prison from Venice, from a Venetian Hmm. prison uh, is actually uh, an illustration of him running on the rooftops and (laughs) he couldn't get, he couldn't just like, crawl off the rooftops and jump into the canal because like the canals were pretty shallow and so he didn't want to like you know break his limbs so he had to like get a ladder and like he went back inside and got a ladder and climbed down to a lower window and crawled into that window in order to escape and it's like a very very elaborate story which is why it was so popular uh but when they zoom out and they show Heath Ledger running on the rooftops it looks like that illustration so it's the it's the it's the like it's the the equivalent to to like in a superhero movie they're like oh this is what the first this is the image from the first issue yeah (laughs) from number (laughs) one this is from action comics look he's got the car I it was like a weird (laughs) easter egg of sorts it was so weird but I thought that was really funny uh but yeah so he runs into the university he runs into victoria and one of the first things they set out which is the main theme of the film uh which is air versus earth uh Mm. and it's you know traditionally and like the christian uh you know the the christian tradition women are representative of the earth and of flesh and men are representative of the air and of spirit and that comes from this like decades long of arguing uh between a lot of these christian philosophers and deciding Mm. like where's man's role and where's women's role and how do we how do we interpret the bible and like what it says about about men and women like Mm. what is the place for these two genders and she flips the script entirely she says no women are air women are fire and they let this this contraption go up into the sky we 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 are the ones who belong to the air and then men are earth and they pull us down so she lets the sandbags loose and then obviously like Giacomo pulls down the balloon as well which also illustrates her point (laughs) it's just it's a very funny like straightforward like this is what this movie is about (laughs) pay attention yeah yeah Yeah. it's I I say this a lot and it's funny because it comes up a lot on perfect 10 because of the types of stories that we're talking about I love Mm -hmm. it when a movie can clearly state its thesis without like stopping and looking down the barrel of the the lens and going like this is what this movie is about but when it can like artfully and cleverly present to you this is this is what this this is the purpose of this story right so like very much yeah flipping that script of like men do these things because women seduce them into (laughs) no men do these things because they have choice they have free will um and and uh and as i'm as a matter of fact uh in this story in particular the women are often the victims of the behavior of men and the power that they that they wield uh like children Mm -hmm. right like uh, Mm -hmm. so it yeah it again this these are the reasons why in 2005, I think this movie is not going to land with that audience because the majority of the audience in 2005 is just not ready for that. Right. Yeah. We're not ready for the women's March in 2005. It's going to take mm. a little while longer for us to get there. Um, 
Mm, as much as yeah. as that audience is more enlightened than an audience from 1995, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, in or ni- let's go 1993 and a movie like Jurassic Park that has a couple of great feminist lines in it. But those mm-hmm. feminist lines are like so tame compared to what we would p- consider feminist now. Right. Yeah, um, that's true. Or it's just like, oh, you know man dies woman inherits the earth and then you know we can talk about (laughs) sexism and survival situations when i get back stuff like that (laughs) or it's like like just so such like subtle stuff in that movie that uh that sows seeds in in individuals such as myself to the point that i can quote them 30 years yeah um i (laughs) but like you know defining characters from and then you go back even further 20 years before that to princess leia and the beginning of uh i think feminist icons in film right Maybe not the beginning, right. but one of the most notable. One of one of the ones that really like said, "Hey, Wall, you don't exist anymore. I'm going to break through you." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, like it's just it's it, it is funny to me that it's like the 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 stuff that's being said in the beginning of this movie is so um, it's so elementary to me now. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee that in 2005, I mean, especially I was, I was significantly younger, so not ready in that way as well, but just as a society, I just, I just don't think that we were there yet as much as a movie like this wants you to be right. And some people were ahead of the curve and, and have to be in order to lead that charge. Yeah. Um, you, you, there, there's an aspect of, of, of progressive thought where it's like, there have to be people at the at the outset of it that are willing to make enemies and not have as many friends in order to get these points across because you have to you have to start somewhere right and yeah and it's, and it's going to be unpopular at the time which is so funny because it's like that's also what the movie is about <laughs> is that <laughs> she is she is so far ahead of her time I uh, mm-hmm. in in saying these things and like the ridiculousness of pulling the mustache off and the, the uh, <laughs> I love later like being the, this 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 transvestite which is a term that we would never use now yeah um I just know but, but like, the con- the context is but the context is, is perfect yeah because like and and this is one of those things where it's like it's actually kind of the beauty of the movie being made in the time that it was made is that yeah. the term transvestite would have been fine and, and acceptable in 2005 mm-hmm. whereas now we would never use that term right and we would we have to like preface it of like this is a thing this is an outdated term we say transgender we would never say transvestite um but, but it was supposed to be like this like offensive ridiculous thing exactly that's in the newspaper. you you have to you have yeah. to take the context of the people who are using the word, right? Exactly. And the people who are using the word are looking down on this behavior and and especially in this context of like, oh, sh- this person used this to, in order to gain access to a place where she was not allowed, right? Yep. Um, yep, yep. So in the context of things that we're talking about today in t- 2023, uh, so interesting to me, right? Mm. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's a it's it's miraculous that this movie exists it is i know now we can watch it and it's and it can hold such deep meaning in these conversations but in 2005 yeah the audience is going to be like "Mm, i'm uncomfortable with these (laughs) things and it's like well just you know it's it's a I I've, I now I've brought up Jurassic Park already and Star Wars has come up and I'm going to bring up Back to the Future. Uh, it's the it's the yeah. the moment at the end of the movie where he finishes the song and he's like, hi, you guys weren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, it's so true. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I, it's it's definitely one of those moments of like, oh, we'll get there. We'll catch up to this movie eventually. Yeah, yeah. we'll catch yeah. up. Exactly. That's so funny. I love all your references. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I know how to relate to the world. So, uh, I yeah, pop culture references. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Uh, but before we get too far into into the progression of the story, I just want to take a quick sidestep back to to something that happens sort of in the background. Um, and it happens a few times during the movie, and it's the puppet shows. I, I, yes. And this, this was, this was the first piece where I went like, oh, oh, this is in the style of Shakespeare. Like this was the yeah. first thing because it's the play within the play, right? And that's mm. such a, it in 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 um, in so many of the, of Shakespeare's works, it's it's prevalent, right? That like, yes, we yes. have stories going on in the background that don't seem all that important or that, that are, are sort of like conceits or constructs within the story. Um, another layer, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in mm-hmm. order, in order to get stuff across. And, and this is one of those ones of like, we see um, without, without any character in the story needing to tell us who Casanova is to the people of Venice, because we're going to find out how the institutions of Venice feel about Casanova, but we need to know how, how the the public sees him as well. Right. Right. And, (laughs) and I think that the important piece here, and it's funny because you give so much more of the historical context and it brings this into more context for me is that um, Casanova is allowed to do what he does because it entertains the people. Right. Yeah. So although yeah. many people would consider his behavior to be disgusting, it, they have these puppet shows going on where it's like, well, without Casanova, who do we who's the scapegoat that we get to to put all of our own behavior onto? Exactly. Right. And that's and that is the role that he serves. And he sees that. And he um, there is a moment with this first one where he's looking on to this and the, and the guy kind of is like nudging him of like, ha, oh, that Casanova. And, and, uh, and he's kind of like, he's disgusted with himself, mm-hmm. which, which is our first indicator in the story that he's ready to change. Right. Like that, yes. that there's a, that there's a hero's journey that's about to happen for this character um, <laughs> because he's looking out into the world and going like, Oh, this isn't actually, this isn't actually mm-hmm. who I think that I am but this is how everybody else sees me. So it's sort of, it's, it's laying that groundwork and it's important that we know that and, and to use the puppet show to do it is such a Shakespearean device of like, like let's, let's use this, like, let's use this, this, um, uh, this, this piece of media within the media. It's what I do when I'm using back to the future and star Wars to relate the story this it's exactly the same thing. I mean, like that's why Shakespeare did it because it was like, like let's use these things that people understand. You're at a play, so I know that you like plays, so I'm going to mm. use a play to explain what's happening in this play, right? Yeah, which is yeah. what happens in Hamlet. Is but it's also serving a purpose in the story. It's all like, and it's mm. just those layers. It's those layers that like that's the that those are the things that we um that 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 makes shakespeare uh and and i mean we talked about it a little bit when we talked about a knight's tale and chaucer right. like it makes them stand out among other writers of those periods and why they've stood the test of time right like why they Absolutely. become classical as opposed to just something that was written back then um yeah so yeah i i i loved it i was like ooh, like like this is this is what 
this is what I'm here for. Like, like, uh, <laughs> I think I, it, that scene happened and I, and I turned to my wife and I was like, I was like, yes, yes, this is my type of movie. A hundred percent. And she's just like, yeah. okay, whatever. She just likes <laughs> the Heath Ledger of it, you know, but. Uh, oh yeah. I, He's fantastic. I, yeah. Yeah. But I'm yeah. like, oh, 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 good. There's, there, there's, there's, there's stuff here. going on here that I can, uh, that, that I can get lost in. Yeah, yeah, because there is a there's a trope heavy element of it. Obviously, mm-hmm. like you said, like we know we've seen this in other other movies, but also it's incredibly Shakespeare. Uh, but there's something too that said uh, it's the first it's the first time in the movie where they make it very clear that there's another theme happening, which is uh, the people know Casanova. The people see this this character and they 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 like him. Like you said, they project a lot of their a lot of their uh, failures onto him they 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 project a lot of their moral failures onto him i think uh and he is essentially like venice's moral failures but also no one really knows uh giacomo right and i think that it's a good a good way to kind of kind of split those two is like casanova is one thing but giacomo is probably that because he doesn't he doesn't take another name by the end of the film so all we can kind of attribute to who he truly is is his first name, which is something that not a lot of people use in the movie. They they're usually referring to him as Casanova. So the legacy character of him being Casanova is what's being represented in those plays and the the puppet show and whatnot. And no one really knows who Giacomo is. So I, that's it's such a cool it's such a cool thing. Mm. All right. So further along in the story. <laughs> so the Doge. Uh, Doge is so interesting because the Doge is uh, it's another name for like, well, he would be referred to as a Duke. But in the movie, they say they call him Prince, uh, which is interesting. But he's a representative of the Vatican. And he practically controls Venice. And he uh it's not like i i think the in the real like real life story of casanova like there was a doge he didn't exactly protect casanova uh, it was more of like he he protected casanova in as much as like the locals would have wanted to protect casanova like if they were on his side he was on his side uh if they wanted him gone he wanted them gone sort of thing so uh, that's who he was and he tells him he which is the conflict of the film uh you have to get a wife you have to be on good behavior or i'm going to expel you from venice uh so interesting as like a conflict so he goes out and he is on the ground i and i like to i like to kind of look at levels a lot uh especially when watching movies like this when we're talking about there's like a theme of godhood and the earth and the air and all of that. So whenever he kind of spots the statue of the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. he is on the ground with Lupo and he's looking up at uh, the people that walk over the bridge and they're carrying the statue of Virgin Mary. And that is representative of Victoria. And it's like, he's kind of always below Victoria. Like there's very few times where Casanova is actually above Victoria and I'll uh, kind of point those out. But uh, the movie then cuts to Victoria in her 
kind of in her window above everyone looking down on like the peasants of Venice and then Giovanni who is directly across from her on level with her who is looking at her from you know from his his window looking down on everyone so right away we kind of get these like equality leveling things going on which I which I really find interesting (laughs) yeah there's there's stories uh, are actually like incredibly parallel throughout yeah. the, the, the film. Um, and it, like, cause they, they, they start as these virgins in the window looking down on the rest of the world and everybody else is in the muck. Um, yep. Yep. and there, there's a, there's like a, uh, we don't see it yet, but we're going to find out that there's kind of a jealousy of that, right. Of like, like this thing that everybody else is considering to be holy, they, they consider to be a, prison right yes yes i but then later on in the movie they're both going to break out of that prison at the same Mm -hmm. time at the same time in different ways in different ways but with the same act because like they they actually they actually both do the same thing in different places with different people um and then and then they see each other and then there's the moments of like oh you've been here all along like the two of us yeah. have, like we've been it's like faded right um yeah. which which is in parallel to the story of of uh uh, uh and and the mother right like it yeah where it's like it i it's fantastic i love there's there's so much of this movie this it's so funny <laughs> I, it's I, really funny yeah yeah there's i just a lot I just, of parallels you you suggested the movie and I was like, yep, sure, no hesitation, because I because I trust your I trust your taste. Um and and then sitting through the movie, I'm like, oh my god, this is like this is a movie that actually does define wh- what a perfect 10 is for me, like <laughs> for my personal taste. Um but it. it's one of those ones that like um it's funny the the, the the same thing happened with missy uh and and um roman holiday roman holiday for me because yeah. it was like this is a movie i never would have like sought out it, yeah. um but now that i have seen it i can turn around and go like like oh this is such a me movie and mm. i'm so glad that i that i got to to enjoy it and that's the whole point of doing this podcast it's yeah. it is so easy for for us to just do you know like i i, I and it's it doesn't make these movies lesser but it's just they're just easier to pull mm-hmm. out as perfect tens to do the last one that we just did was was uh, raiders of the lost ark with cheryl and it's like of course of course mm-hmm. raiders of the lost ark is a perfect 10 it's it yeah it, it, it's we coined the term on that episode it is actually probably the most perfect 10 because mm-hmm. like I don't know that many people who have a problem with Indiana Jones, right? Like yeah. it's just so straight down the middle. Like of objectively, what yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Movie, yeah. But but a movie like this, similar to A Knight's Tale, similar to uh, similar to Roman Holiday, it's like there are certain things about me as a person that are hard for me to define, but that I can relate to people by going like, well, these are some movies that um, if you watch them, you could understand a little bit more about like. <laughs> about me i love it um, i liked it when you said earlier it's a it's a very me movie <laughs> yeah that's yeah. what it feels it's like a, it, this is a very me movie for me this, this is on yeah. rotation for me yeah, yeah it's 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 funny because like shakespeare is one of those things that like i don't i'm not overt about it in the way that i am about like star wars or ninja turtles or mm-hmm. you know like these things i think that are a little bit more um stereotypical of uh, 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 a white 
mostly yeah. uh, heterosexual cisgendered man in his 30s um mm-hmm. i'm not in my 30s for much longer but that's okay uh we don't <laughs> need to talk about that but like the other things that we've talked about on perfect 10 uh, tend to fall into that category um yeah. but then every once in a while we get to take these detours that um that remind me it's like I, I, as, as I think I've talked with you before, and I've definitely talked with, with Marie Claire before, it's like, I tend to surround myself with, uh, intellectual women. (laughs) Like I did a podcast with my friend Amanda for 10 years and, and, or I podcasted with her. We did multiple podcasts, but, um, and the reason why is just because like, like there's a part of my personality and it's the part that loves Shakespeare and these types Mm. of stories that, um, that intellectual women tend to be sort of in the, in the orbit of. And so I, and so I find myself with those types of people and then going like, ah, yes, this is why, this is why, because I get fed, like this other part of me gets fed that's I, that otherwise doesn't. Right. Yeah. There's also this element of uh, hyper fixations that, that girls (laughs) and women, you know, and it becomes like a thing, it becomes a joke in fandom, but it's so true that like a lot of young women, even older women, it's not necessarily an age thing, but we, we do, we have hyper fixations. We, we get stuck on this one thing for a while. I did it with Shakespeare. I did it with rock music. I've, you know, I did it with reality shows. I still do it with a lot of those things. Uh, And, and it's just like, once you, excuse me, once you open yourself up to that, uh, during a certain amount of time, you get to know this, like this whole world and Mm. you get to know it on this very deep level. I know even, um, you know, especially with women and writing fan fiction is another element to this, right? Uh, the research, the amount of research that you do to write a fan fiction is insane because like, if you're going to describe the type of wine your your character is drinking, you want to get it right. <laughs> you know, if you're going to describe how they smell and in what time period you're writing it, you want to make sure that you get that accurate. Because, like, those those little elements are important to important to the consumer. They're important to the person writing it because they're the, mm. typically the same person. So it, it's such a funny little world, I think, uh, that should be cherished more. It should be talked about more. And this is a hundred percent in it because this is all of those elements wrapped into this one little film. This, you know, Shakespearean, uh, this the humor, the the sexiness of it, the beautiful cast, and all of that. Like it, it is such a women's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that also includes like very interesting. Wow. Uh, themes and very interesting plot points that are like, oh, like I could t- like my next note is about the the Sicilian citrus, mm-hmm. right? Which was like a huge thing back then, and it still is a big thing. They need an abundance of water to grow, and Italy was perfect for you know tangerines and lemons and whatnot. And this was like the premier place to import your citrus from. And what is what do they put on the table in uh, the Bruni's home, but a little plate of citrus, you know, and Giovanni eats one. And and, and you could look at this and go, oh, this is just, this is just, you know, of course, Italy and citrus. I'm sure that's just a common thing, mm-hmm. which it is. But also there's a very few people in the movie that actually eat one of them on camera. And you could also look at it as the ambrosia, of this world you know mm-hmm. like giovanni eats one and later uh pucci 
eats one. That's his name, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the, the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 uh, the bishop. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of to me to signify like they belong in this world. They belong. Mm-hmm. They have eaten the nectar of the gods. They, they eat it casually. Uh, and whereas other people kind of avoid it, they kind of look at it and they kind of put it to the side and they, they don't actually partake in the nectar. So yeah, that, that, so up my alley. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, where were we? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, that's where we are, right? Um, and yeah, then, and yeah. then I think we're we're getting into more of like the the, uh, um, when Victoria is introduced, right, and the whole yeah, his sort of his sort of courting of her that really literally has nothing to do with her, right? And, and oh, so uh, true, so true. Yeah, it's and just the- it's a uh, it's transactional, right? Right. So I, so you picked up on the whole, like, obviously like uh, the bird in the cage thing. So yeah, yeah. walk us through that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I when when I, when, when we're getting introduced to Victoria, I, and, 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 um, and Casanova is there sort of, you know, making his intentions known. I, uh, her father is talking about her virginity and how chaste she's been and how he's protected her. And uh, and while he's saying all of this stuff, we we're seeing her like sort of skulking in the garden, um, uh, obstructed by many things, by the bushes and 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 uh, uh, you know uh, sort of the, the the architecture or whatever. But then mm-hmm. she she kind of sneaks up and hides behind this bird cage, and uh, I, it's this great moment of like such overt symbolism as she's. <laughs> She's hiding behind this bird in a gilded, like like in a literal gilded cage. Yeah. I uh, let's 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 bring another Disney uh, animated feature metaphor into this. Like we see the same metaphor in Aladdin when Jasmine's uh. talking about how how she's been kept in the palace her whole life and never been allowed to explore or go out into the into the dirty muck of the real world, right? Yeah. Um, and she lets the birds out of the gilded cage um, because that's her desire is to be free. Right. And yeah. I, I, and, and Victoria's desire is, is equally made known as she's watching intently. I, I, I <laughs> watching Casanova and um, I mean, like she is not pleasuring herself, but she is making, <laughs> faces and moans as if she's pleasuring herself and as as he's sort of like hey like listen you know like i that's what i'm after is i'm looking for a woman who's who's you know virtue is beyond compare and that's i want to settle down and that's that's who like now that that's what i want to do that's what i have to do but what what he's really talking about is like he needs a symbol this is why when he sees the virgin mary he thinks of her and he's like perfect I need somebody who's going to give me unlimited street cred as a now respectable man. Right. Yes. And, and how am I going to do that other than like going after the most notably uh, virginous woman in all of Venice. Right. <laughs> um, but in truth, she's like the horniest person in town because <laughs> it's all pent up. It's like, it's all inside. Yeah. Right. And she like crushes the 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 side of the cage and the bird flies out and you're like oh she's loose now right like yeah just just being in the presence of casanova has um has tainted her yeah because it's not just him it's like all the things he represents like she his name precedes him (laughs) um and and that 
that is a thematic uh, element throughout the entire story of all of these characters, right? Is Absolutely. that it's it's all about identity and perception and um and notoriety and infamy and all of these things, right? Because Absolutely. it's him, uh, Propizio, like like the whole. <laughs> that we call that advertising <laughs> such a <laughs> such a great such a great line um and i uh when pucci shows up and it's like oh my my reputation has preceded me and, and bernardo mm-hmm. guardi is a character um mm-hmm. uh, both the character of like who he actually is but who uh who francesca has created this persona that she's created it's it's everyone is lying no one is who they truly say they are yeah and it's and it's this is one of the first times i think that that's really made known in the story is that like victoria is not she is not this chaste virtuous woman she's actually like she's a prisoner right yeah Uh, Yeah. her father has imposed this persona on her but it's not who she wants to be right Mm. she wants she wants to to experience these things as we all do right um and there's nothing it's there's nothing wrong with it and i think that that's one of the the um one of the best things about the way that this story is told is that it's very clear that like feminine sexuality is not a it's not an evil thing which in movies it's usually the femme fatale it's mm. usually associated with danger and risk and and mortality right but right. in this story it's actually like the bad guys are all pious the heroes are all horny <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it right like yeah like it's 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 um it's like fr- it's they, freedom freedom to be of yeah. my own flesh and of my own spirit it's freedom to be both yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so it's like and especially like in in a world in a time period which very much reflects the time period that we're in where these things are seen as like you you like oh like we don't talk about it right because even as mm. as as I use the word horny it's like it almost feels like Ugh, can we talk about that can we say that on a podcast but <laughs> but absolutely we should be able to especially talking about this movie we have to because it is mm-hmm. like this like this is where this this story is living right is in yeah. in this feeling that I uh, is a mix between our head our heart and our loins right like it's it's <laughs> it's where those three things intersect again another thing that makes this such a shakespearean story because those were especially like with 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 his romantic plays and and with a lot of his comedies like that's what they were about was Absolutely. this like this interplay between these three aspects of ourselves and how to balance them right because Absolutely. like yeah. what's the difference between true love and lust and then and then bringing in this intellectual side of it of of you know like like how do you how do you find somebody who feeds all three of those things mm. because that's who you're supposed to be with right is the person who meets yes. all of those or as many of those needs as they can right um, yeah and he says as much later in the in the script um yeah. yeah that's oh yeah like there's there's all of that going on there's these these are these things that are constantly at war with each other and that's why I think uh, when when Giacomo and Francesca meet the first time, uh, this, the funny thing that happens is that they're at odds with each other, mm-hmm. uh, which they shouldn't be. They, they're actually incredibly similar, <laughs> um, but th- they should be in terms of the story because 
the entire theme and the entire purpose of the story is that uh, they are at odds with who they actually are and therefore they're projecting onto each other of who they really are and not who they really want to be. And and I think that one of the things that uh, the film doesn't fail in, but I think one of the things that it struggles in, in really explaining is how Francesca is wrong. Um, because a lot of things that she says, a lot of these lines that she has, like they turn out to be wrong. They turn out to be yeah. inaccurate and, and they never come full circle, but they don't necessarily do that with uh, Casanova either. I mean, uh, it's illustrated in what ends up happening. Actions are obviously louder than words, but uh, it is so philosophy heavy, I think in the beginning, hmm. I think now if we were to make this movie again, now it would have to be someone would have to say something yeah. outright. Well, what is the solution? What is the philosophy? We can say it like artistically, like what it came to, uh, which I obviously, <laughs> I have things to say about that later, but it's, but yeah, like it's, I wish there would have been more there, I guess. Uh, but you know, not, we don't have to go on the whole, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the whole thing. But yeah, I'm sure you understand. I think, what I, I'm... I think that they're, I think they're presented early on as as the two sides of the extreme, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's the there there are it's a spectrum, right? Like we tend to we tend to want to want to put things into dichotomies. I uh, it, it's it's just human nature. I uh, mm-hmm. we, we want things to be black or white. We we want to have a binary um because it's easy to define things and it's our it's our 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 chimpanzee brains trying to determine is that fruit safe to eat or is it poisonous? Is it ripe or is it not ripe? Like <laughs> like, like it's just it's it's the reason I say this all the time. It's the reason why we see in color, right? Yeah. Um that we see in color because it's it, like evolutionarily it allowed us to distinguish non-poisonous ripe fruit from things that would kill us or make us sick. Mm, right. That's why right. we can see in color. And yet the fact that we can see in color is it, it le- leads to us being able to create art and do all of these things that it's like these mm. unintended consequences of our evolution. And, mm. uh, and so there's this aspect of it. Um, you, you can't, you cannot just look at it as a black and white we see in color. And this is a spectrum. She represents the extreme of the intellect of the philosophy. Right. right? Um, and then he represents like, like living in passion and, and like sort of outside of that intellect going by your gut, by your feeling. Right. And then he's, yeah. he's also, because she's a foil for him right again right. to use shakespearean stuff and then Pucci is 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 introduced as the other foil this the 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 piety um who uh comes in and says you know like we have to we have to live our lives in this way according to god otherwise we're heretics and yet the man is incredibly violent and he's a mm. murderer and he's mm-hmm. he's evil right yeah um but but his his flag is that of the church and so he's considered a good and righteous man but but it's in juxtaposition juxtaposition to casanova who yeah is he's not doing what he does to hurt anybody he is hurting people i mean i think he mm-hmm. learns that over the course of the film but that was that's not his that's never his intent his intent is is what he says which is to sort of like live life to its fullest and to experience these things and to to 
to share the experience with as many beautiful women as possible is sort of his, mm-hmm. his ideology. Right. Um, yeah. And they could have, they very well could have been like, Oh, Casanova was the best at, sed- at not only seducing, but pleasuring women. Like they could have taken it that yeah. to that step, but they didn't, which was it's, really, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is another, it is, a, it is one of those things where it is, there's a lot of showing and not telling, but yes, sometimes, Sometimes we need to actually, we do actually need to tell every once in a while. So there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot going on in this movie that is there, but that mm-hmm. is not clear, right? Because when we when we start the movie and he's and he's feeding the 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 fruit with the with the cream on it to to the nun, and it's like she she makes a comment because it's like well, you know uh, uh, an eternity of damnation for um for one night with casanova was it mm-hmm. worth it and she goes i actually kind of was right yeah. so it's yeah, like yeah. we get we get it but it's like it's a there it's fleeting moments so we're there and we're moved we've moved on from it so quickly um but i do i do take it as uh that he actually wasn't like the best lover uh mm. even like in the scene where the only scene of you know any sort of sexual content that we get that's like really explicit uh it seems a bit chaotic uh (laughs) so i think that ultimately the movie was trying to avoid that because it was like well like he and francesca don't don't ever like you know do it in the movie or anything like there's no like he doesn't he doesn't show her his pleasure skills like he doesn't do anything to her you know they they kiss at the end like that's it but it's it's such a it's so beautiful because it's about partnership and i think that they were avoiding this like because they were basically saying like, well, what what if he's not actually like a good lover? Like, what if he actually is just like his again, his reputation precedes him, and he's that, just prolific. That's all. Yeah, he's just prolific. And then Francesca yeah. calls him out on that. She's like, well, you're just trying yeah. to make me a notch on your bedpost type of thing. Yeah, because yeah. that actually is what makes Casanova Casanova in the reputation area, not how good he is with women. Yeah. Well, and that, that's funny because uh, now that we discuss this, it's like. Uh, his other foil in the story is Giovanni, right? And right. who is good? Who is, like that is the whole point. Is that like with the with the with the brothel? It's like he, like uh, oh, what do I owe you? Oh, it's the, the don't worry about it. Like we feel like we owe you, sort of thing. And like that's the moment that he becomes a hero in his own story, right? And he, and, yeah, like, and then, he becomes he becomes the god of love in that moment yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so I, yeah that's that's funny see <laughs> and this is again this is another defining characteristic of a perfect 10 is that like the more we talk about it the more we'll uncover the more we oh, learn about 100%. it the more we, 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 we figure out like oh but what is going on here right um, right right fantastic. and look we can back up a little bit but we don't have to cover everything because we pretty much <laughs> we covered a lot of stuff in that yeah <laughs> we did so uh one of the things that okay so obviously like they have the they have the chaotic sword fight uh yeah. which is awesome is there anything you wanted to say about that or like their first meeting that we did? um i mean it's just i think i already talked about about the 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 false identity stuff so much it's uh, but this I is this is very much reinforcing that that yeah. that you know um he is already deep in his lies uh, and and trying to become a person that he's not and in pursuing that falsehood ends up in conflict with giovanni but giovanni can't sword fight so his sister takes his place and right. the the two of them go back and forth 
and it's representative of the back and forth that they're going to have throughout the whole film. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they are also, they are, he's met his match, right. Yes. Which is a term that we would use of like in sword fighting. It's like, Oh, you've met your match, but it's also like, it's a double entendre of like, he's met, he's met his other half. Right. Yeah. Um, and she bested him not only in the sword fight, but she also bested him in the, the, the moral and, yeah. like word sparring uh, yeah, yeah it's so but but there's also the moment in the in the horse ride back where he's sort of like counterpointing her and is like but mm-hmm. you know but what about but what about this like is like it like what is love because isn't this also mm. love and like which comes up a few times in the story right um and she's she's right. taken aback by it because i think that she perceives casanova's actions as just like lusts of the flesh there's nothing behind it right and then but then when she hears him i can't remember what his what his false name that he gives them is but when he presents himself as this other guy and is sort of defending casanova he says things about casanova's lifestyle where he's like he's like but i think this is what he's actually after when he's talking about himself in the third person right and she's often like well i've never considered that which is to your point of like she's she's so far to that intellectual philosophical extreme that she's kind of lost the forest for the trees of like, she's talking so much about love and yet, and yet isn't actually talking about the experience of love, the physical passionate experience of love, which is something that he's going to teach her. Right. Yeah. Because she, this is where she's wrong. Like this is, and -hmm. again, this, she's not wrong in every aspect. She's only wrong in the aspect of, uh, you know, she doesn't like he he does in his way, and this is just in the movie world, knows he knows love of the flesh. And mm. that's what they're juxtapositioning. And and she doesn't know love in any way. Yeah. And he is thinking of his mother, he's thinking of the love that he had for her. He's thinking of the fact that he is living in this this world, this place, and he's doing these things because he is waiting for his mother. And yeah. he's also waiting for his mother. He's also saying, like like we said in the beginning, like almost calling out to his mother through these, you know, these yeah. relationships. There is there is a very um and again, Shakespearean, <laughs> there is a very Oedipal thing going on throughout this entire story. <laughs> that Francesca is the woman that he is destined to be with. And mm-hmm. her wild, curly, auburn hair is exactly mm. like his mother's. She, yeah. the, when we first see her, she looks exactly like his mom. Like, it, yeah. like it, it's there. And- it's not open for interpretation. It's no, <laughs> it's a hundred percent there. Also, his mother was yeah. always an actress. And yeah. by the way, his mother was an actress in real life. Uh, mm. So that was actually accurate. But the fact that he sees Francesca first on a stage dressed up as a man yeah. is probably similar to how he saw his mother acting when he was a child. So, I mean, it's all there. It's a hundred percent edible, but it's, but it's yeah. funny because it sounded like I said edible Edible. <laughs> I don't know. It's too, too similar, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, like it's really funny. Uh, the fact that she is, she is so different, but she is also, uh, like we said, they're more, they're more similar. They, mm-hmm. they, they very much are like the same person in a way. And I think yeah. that's what makes them great. Like faded lovers. Um, and that they're like uh binaries, right? Uh they're yeah. they're both 
and not binaries as an opposites. They're like a binary star. Like they're yeah. circling each other and that becomes that also becomes a thing later, which is really cool. Uh, but yeah, they're more similar than they are different, and it's just something yeah. they have to figure out. I think I think they they both they both seek the same life, right? Mm-hmm. But they they come at it from different perspectives because of their life experiences. But the but the thing that makes them fated to be together is that the only way for either of them to to achieve that life is by being with the other like and learning yeah. from the other and the the things about Casanova that at first she objects to are the things that she actually needs to integrate into herself and right. vice versa in order for both of them to be well-rounded and for both of them to to actually achieve this thing that mm. whether they realize it or not is what they're seeking right and it's absolutely. and it's where we see them at the end of the film right like it, yeah. it, it absolutely is um, outside of Venice, outside of the constructs of that society, able to just be, which is what both exactly. of them want. It's what exactly. both of them want. But they, yeah. they're both of their actions are rebellions against the constructs of Venetian society. Right? They just yes, because one is a man and was one is a woman. They're 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 acting out in different ways. But they're both. Mm. It's it's fun. They're both very juvenile in that way (laughs) until they come together and then like like the scene towards the end is they're about to die and they look at each other and it's like 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 it's 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 time to 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 grow up in that moment um and that's when the deus ex machina comes in right so right right uh, but they have to get there they have to get there and they have to get there together like that's that's where it's they're they're the opposite of star-crossed lovers it's 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 yeah Um, yeah, like because, they they should have been together all along, and yet, yeah, 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 oh yeah, it's so because Romeo and Juliet <laughs> only bring one another down until eventually both of them are dead, and it's mm-hmm. the, the fault of again society. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, definitely. But like, this is almost like a flip of that. It's a, uh, it's 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 like the they're getting in their own Romeo way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, she kind of hates him when she first sees him, and <laughs> it's yeah, um, yeah. Even, they're both kind of they're, hurting them yeah. themselves and that's keeping them from being with each other yeah totally yeah all right so let me God, we keep talking yeah so much stuff it's, <laughs> it's to... difficult it's difficult to stay because so many of the themes are like throughout it's i know they go to throughout. stay to stay chronological with it right but uh, i know but, i know but, and but i was it's okay. i just contemplated doing them based off a theme and i was like eh it's you know i think i think what will end up happening is that like as we go through your notes which are in chronological order we'll we'll at some point realize that we've met in the middle i know <laughs> that's, what, that's what i'm thinking that's why I'm, I'm like gonna skip some things here yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like to go off to go off of the like they're basically the same person uh i'm just gonna skip forward to like the part where like he finds out or we find out not uh, Giacomo hasn't found out yet, but we found out in the movie that Francesca has a nom de plume. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it's that whole thing of like, I want to be anyone but me because being a woman makes her lesser and she wants to overcome that. Uh, so that's like such an interesting uh, parallel. Uh, and then we have Enter Paprizio, uh, who we've talked about a little bit. I had a little bit of a funny, funny thing about lard that I wanted to share that I think is so fascinating. Uh, but it's come off as a, it comes off as a joke in the movie. But 
lard was actually considered like the number one, you know, uh, oil for especially country dwellers in like Italy. And it wasn't until the modern day when Italians learned that lard could cause heart disease (laughs) that they turned to like nut oils and like olive oil instead. Uh, Walnut oil was apparently an oil of choice. But also uh, lardo di colonnata was uh, a type of uh, essentially it was like pork fat that was like solidified and sliced. Mm -hmm. And, and served as if it were like carpaccio or salami. Um, and that's a delicacy in Italy. So it's kind of funny that they kind of push it as a joke. Like, oh, it's lard. But it was in the transitional period from being a very common oil to actually becoming a delicacy in the type of the way it was, uh, you know, served. So that's why he was such a rich man. <laughs> yeah. So I find that interesting. And then we also have the entrance of Pucci around this time, who has a military style buzz cut, which is something I didn't really think about until I watched it this time. I was like, wow, that's a very, militaristic style of hair he has there yeah. for for being a wig yeah uh but he also like i mentioned before he eats the citrus in francesca's in in her face like very like arrogantly mm-hmm. while he admonishes like guardi's philosophy you know he's he's just like angry about it and like eating it in front of her um and then in, in the scene kind of after that as well, we get something else from Pucci, which is so interesting, where he says, it's not the tea I object to, it's the water. <laughs> and I find yeah. this so interesting because I think that water is that element that we have been missing, which is funny because we're in Venice, but we have air, we have fire, we have earth, and yet we're in a in a world that is floating on water mm-hmm. and Pucci in this moment says it's not no no it's not the tea I object to the water uh and that becomes a big part of the theme you know as we continue on through the journey of the characters and where they end up uh so something just to keep in mind so yeah yeah I, so anything- I ha- yeah. having read through your notes I see exactly where you're driving at and that's fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, uh, can we move on to Carnivale? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. So, uh, they go to you know, Carnivale happens, and obviously, Giacomo has to wear uh, multiple masks because he's playing multiple characters. Mistake. It's so good. It's so it's a, it's another <laughs> one of those pieces of overt symbolism where he's got the mask. Uh, he's hold, he's holding it up with the stick and then uh when we find out that um that victoria is also there the masks flip and it goes from the white mask to the black mask um (laughs) because the white mask is this character that he's playing he's 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 come out falsely as uh he's he's put another false identity on top of his existing false identity because he's (laughs) senore whatever i can't remember what the character's name was yeah and he he says he pretends to be propizio yeah. But as he's pretending to be Paprizio to to Francesca, he's actually like showing more of his true self than he's ever shown before, right? Mm. And so he's got the white mask, but then when Victoria shows up, he flips to the black mask because the black mask is 
Casanova, the persona mm. that he's known as, which is not who he actually is or not. It's not who he wants to be. And so it's like, it's his past catching up with him. So it's like flipping <laughs> back to the black mask. And I was just like, it's like, it's so right there, but it's the sort of thing that Shakespeare would have written into the stage direction <laughs> so that it didn't, so that nobody messed it up. Right. So that like yeah. in, in 300 years, people would still be using the white mask and the black mask to make sure that this point is getting across that, yeah. it, you know, like, like one of these false identities is actually his true identity, even though like even Casanova doesn't realize yet that that's who he actually is. No. Um, Cause he's kind of, he's because he's espousing the beliefs of Bernardo Guardi as Paprizio in order to win Francesca not realizing that like this is actually what he truly believes <laughs> he yeah. just he just has to like it's almost he's almost tricking himself into becoming the character that he's playing i mm. uh, right yeah but right. Then, yeah. but it's in as soon as he gets there as soon as he's there and he starts to reveal his true self and he's got plans obviously to 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 you know sort of seal the deal later on mm-hmm. that are already in play for carnival right then his his past is going to catch up to it. it has to i mean like this is the this is the the end of the second act romantic comedy moment of like all all of the the house of cards has to come crashing down right yeah um, so that exactly. everybody can then actually truly reveal themselves yeah yeah because that's literally yeah that's the pattern <laughs> i yeah. love it yeah i love it yeah so uh it's it's so absurd the events that happen. So we'll kind of <laughs> skip through some of these, but um, so Pucci in the same time is like questioning Paprizio and he has a little yeah. dungeon, which by the way, that actually existed. The, uh, uh, the doge of, or not the, well, I don't know if it was in the doge's quarters, but uh, in the quarters, I think of like the head, like law enforcement chief in Venice, hmm. he actually had uh, cells, either on his level or like right below his level of living space. And he uh, tortured people there and also had uh, cells there for kind of like higher class prisoners. Mm. Uh, Casanova would have been one of them. So that's accurate, which is odd as a historical uh, little fact there. Uh, And so he finds out that Casanova is kind of pretending to be all these different people the non plume is revealed and whatnot. Uh, so he goes, so every, now everybody's at Carnival and everyone's there and he's going to be found out. So, and Peprizio also finds his true love and Francesca's <laughs> mom, which is fantastic. I love that. And the balloon, the balloon is so interesting. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. cause it combines, like, obviously it goes back to, Francesca at the very beginning releasing her little hot air balloon in the the academy and uh Giacomo says you know we're gonna get you one step closer to heaven that's that's the quote that's what he says in that moment one Mm -hmm. step closer to heaven because if you remember kind of some of the themes I've been touching on throughout which is that they're already in the land of the gods like technically like they're already really in like the equivalent of heaven uh but he wants to take her further up which is not a good thing like you can't go further up like that's the point so they dump the sandbags together like let's go on this adventure together they go up and everyone below sees them as gods they see 
Casanova and they see like his fiance, but nobody really knows. Like no one recalls exactly who she is. Um, but the, you know, whatever goes up must come down sort of thing. They crash down into the ground and they could have crashed into the water, but they don't, they crash into the ground. And again, this is that whole kind of, uh, conflict between the air and the earth and going up and going down. And I think the most significant, probably like part of this whole sequence is the fact that they, and and what brings them down is the, she finds out in midair that he is not Paprizio and he's not any of the people that he said he is. He's actually Casanova and that's just such an offense. So she knows how to bring the balloon down. So she does with fire or with, with putting out the fire, sorry. And the funny thing is that they circle each other in like kind of the way that it's portrayed. They circle each other. Like we were saying earlier about how them being binary stars, they're the same person. They're circling each other. They're like creating conflict where there doesn't need to be any because they are the same person. They're Mm. fated to be with each other. And then they come crashing down and, you know, it's, it's like the real, it's like in that moment when they, when they're, they're finally on the ground again and he's arrested because she says right before that, she says um, that she wants someone to sacrifice their life for her, mm-hmm. which again, she's wrong. <laughs> like that's, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a right thing. Like that's not something someone should say to a, a lover, a potential lover. But he does immediately after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she looks at him and she's like, oh, no, I messed up. So- yeah, well, th- there, there's a great moment as they're, you know, in a traditional romantic comedy, you have the <laughs> moment of like, you've been lying to me this whole time. And then and then, you know, they break apart at the end of the second act. And then the third act is it has to be the the, the big, you know, sweeping yes. gesture in order to win her. Right. And yes. in that moment, as they're doing it, it subverts that because she's like, you lied to me this whole time. And he goes, you've been lying to me the whole time. You're Bernardo Guardian. You're acting like he's this guy that you listen to, that you believe in. But these are your own beliefs the whole time. So, like, you come clean, too. Like, both, if we both come clean, then we can both realize that, you know, like, yeah. like we're meant to be together. We've been doing the same thing to one another the whole time. Exactly. Right? Um, exactly and then and then yeah like like they 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 crash down and then he he takes on her falsehood as well yes which is like which is the the thing that makes her realize the error of her ways right he's he's been aware of his faults since the beginning of the movie right when we saw the, the puppet show he's been like yeah, there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, though. There's something wrong with the way that I'm doing things. And he and, you know, the doge tells me you got to do this. So that's that's the avenue that he pursues mm-hmm. only to find out that that's that was never going to be his absolution anyways. Right. Right. That, that's not his path. But for her, she's had this moral righteousness the entire time. And it's mm-hmm. not until he points that out and then takes on her fault like he's already taken on her false identity and told Paprizio that he is Bernardo Guardi but when he takes it on when it means his death like like that he is assured to be executed Mm. she's like well wait a second I've been wrong about him this whole time right Right. like this is this is what passion leads to 
um, yeah. is what I wanted him to do. What I said that I wanted the man that I love to do. Right. It's yeah. a, it's, it really like it, it's such a satisfying, I, uh, I uh, close to the second act. Um, and the third act is very short oh. in this movie. Like it's such a short. Yes, third act. This like, is a really short one. And I want to, I just want to make a, a, like a little note here because yeah. of what you just summarized, which is, you know, brilliant. Uh, Guess what other like two movies this happens in? Uh, <laughs> a, a Knight's Tale, uh, yeah, and, and Ten Things I Hate About You. There you go. So there you go. I mean, like that. <laughs> that yeah. So we will. We, we it's in the same way that these two are fated to 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 complete this story in this way. You and I have been circling this this Heath Ledger trilogy, and that's we have to. We have yeah. to finish the story by doing 10 Things I Hate About You. It'll, it's, it's an inevitability at this point. It's right? so fascinating how much they have in common in terms yeah. of story patterns. I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun like finding those similarities. So, yeah. yeah so interesting. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I, All right. Yeah. I guess, so, I guess that, kind of, that kind of leads us into the third act, right? Yes. It leads us into the third act, which is kind of like it's more plot than anything else. Yeah. Um, except for like the very, very, very end, right? So you have like uh Victoria goes to Pucci and she's like, Oh, he raped me, which by the way, was an accusation against Casanova at one point. Uh no one really knows if it's founded or not. I don't think it matters. I think he was a horrible person anyway, but yeah. uh so he probably he probably did. Uh but Victoria then runs into Giovanni, which we discussed at the brothel, how he's a legend. He confesses his love for her. Um, and then the trial comes and Francesca decides that she's going to be right there by his side and defend him uh, <laughs> as in her like, you know, little her little get up, um, her little disguise. But also at the same time, she kind of comes out and says no i am actually bernardo guardi um and that is enough for giacomo to realize that she loves him too because they both for both of them to say he's like i'm bernardo guardi and she's like no but i'm bernardo guardi like it's such a cute little like oh that's cute well now you're both gonna die and she's got she it's the it's a great moment i and i love how quickly they trample on this it's so good because again it's it's subverting the uh the the romantic comedy tropes of like she she's giving this defense or whatever and in the process of it she's like he's he's lying to defend the person who loves him Mm -hmm. and like that's her confession to him of her love for him um and but also by action because she's doing the thing that he's doing for her say which she said that she required and she's like well uh, like what kind of a person would i be if i didn't all of this is subtext none of it's actually said but right but but she does it by action and then in the moment that she reveals herself and he and he's like wait you love me like uh, like i love you too and they kiss but it Mm. happens in the background of the scene and it's their first kiss (laughs) and it's we don't punch in the music doesn't swell nothing because we're in the middle of 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 like a like what could be their deaths or should be their deaths right um but because like this is actual true love it's not romanticized it's not it's not grandiose it's not it is a it is a grandiose gesture but it is but like 
the the love part of it is real and not lust right. or just you know like romantic comedy love and in mm. the midst of this victoria and giovanni have found each other and so she recants on her thing which is like he should have he really should be dealing with the consequences of his actions which is the life that he's led has led to this moment where she feels scorned and then says all i'm willing to confess like to to um I, I I oh I can't think of the word right now, but okay. I, we, I we testify. Or, I'm oh, I'm willing testify, to testify yeah. that he's done this, right? right, uh, right, right in right. order for Pucci to get what he wants, and then she recants on it, and he's like, "Well, it doesn't matter because I have all this written stuff, anyways." And it's like, yeah. I so so they end up they end up going to the gallows together, right? Yeah. But it's uh, so she thinks that she's sacrificing herself to save him, but his past is caught up to him. It doesn't matter. Pucci wants him dead regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Whether he's Bernardo Guardi or Casanova, it doesn't matter. It's all all roads lead to to the noose for him, right? So yeah. um it's it, it's a it's a bit of a when you say like she's she was wrong, it's like we want in in a normal romantic comedy this is the moment she's professing her love she's got the boom box over her head right like <laughs> we're supposed to feel that but then it's like but but she's wrong like this is incorrect right 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 so they're both gonna die <laughs> now exactly. they're both gonna die together yeah and it's like it's at the same time that it's like wait but they can't both die they're in no. love mm-hmm. love is supposed to conquer and it, like like we're just but it's not it, but but that idea of love is not the right idea of love real mm. love is different from what we see in the movies what casanova is purported to have been right mm-hmm. and so it's just yep. it's very much it's very much like thumbing its nose as at its own story mm-hmm. uh, in the in it these is. moments and we're all going like wait but what's going to happen right yeah um, cuz the yeah. love that's actually going to save them has nothing to do with erotic love it ha- it's it's familial love is what's going to actually save both of them at the end of the yes. story, which so... is which is real love, which is true love. Is that's true what love. true love is, right? But that's um, what they both they both have to experience that coming from yeah. a, a mom in order to be yeah. reborn because they do die. Yeah. Like, let's be honest here. They die. Like, like yeah. this is this is a hero's tale yeah. happening in the realm of the gods, and they both are executed in the in that moment. And it's mm-hmm. so it it's so interesting if you think about it from this point of view because it was such a like you said it was a and deus ex machina kind of situation and the mother shows up but yes they both are are killed and they are reborn but they are able to leave the world and their other uh kind of like they pass down the torch in order to yeah in order to escape right so so yeah like there's some Cool it, stuff that happens here. The thing that I love the most about it is that, like, we 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 actually haven't talked that much about Hero's Journey stuff in this episode, which is funny because it's, it's it's one of so the things here. that you talk about so much on Wit and Folly. I know. And I think people reasons... are just sick of it. Yeah. I think they're sick of it. <laughs> but I'm not. There, there's the 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 purpose of the Hero's Journey, right? Is always to 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 get the elixir and bring it back to the village. Right. And it's the piece piece that's missing from so many stories. So many modern stories is that the elixir never makes it back to the village. We never see that part. Right. 
But in mm-hmm. this story, they find the elixir and then it's preceded. Uh, uh, it's, it's immediately followed by an action sequence where suddenly everyone is proficient with the sword. Yeah. Everyone. Even Victoria. Even Victoria, Victoria who we've like, gotten I... nothing, nothing to indicate that she can handle a sword. And Giovanni, who we already in this plot were told cannot do this. But through the actions of Casanova in -hmm. this story, he, everyone has found their true love. They found their true self and they all are now like it's, it's visualized in this scene. They're all heroes. They're all heroes. Every last one of them is Luke Skywalker. They Mm -hmm. all have a lightsaber and let's just have fun like like it's who, just gonna who cares? be fun yes who cares if they didn't all get a training montage yeah. who yeah. cares because that's not what this yeah. is about this is about exactly. miraculous energy that is brought yeah. to the group because of the heroic things that that the heroes did like i mean that's yeah. not that's not hard to understand it no happens it's in so many it, films yeah. <laughs> but it's one but it is one of those things that i think a modern audience looks at and if you don't, if you're not a Shakespeare nerd, like the two of us are, and yeah. going like, this has nothing to do with reality, you guys. The whole thing is a cartoon. The whole thing is a cartoon. From yes, start to finish, exactly. this movie is a cartoon. Exactly. But, but a modern audience looks at it and goes, it's live action. It must be true, right? It must be fact. And there's, <sighs> I the, we talk about this on the Indiana Jones episode. I talk about this all the time. It's my favorite right. thing in the Indiana Jones films. The difference between fact and truth. Right. Because this story is true, even if it's not Mm -hmm. factual, Mm -hmm. it's a true story. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it like all of them now being able to fight their way out is they've they have all discovered this inner strength and that inner strength is manifested. It's 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 the 1700s in Venice. It has to end with sword fights, you guys. It has to. (laughs) It's just yes. an inevitable. It's another it inevitability. To. It has to. Oh, one and thing and else, everybody just yeah. can do it, you know. Like, and that's yes. fine. It's fine. It, it's we don't fine. need a plot to tell us that. It's it's actually about the spirit of it, not about the mechanics of it, right? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, one of the other things I wanted to say was going on this kind of like mythological bent is that uh, the mom of uh, Giacomo also she is the true goddess of Venice, right? So she is mm-hmm. the one she she is the one who expelled Giacomo in the beginning of the story from Venice. And she told him what to do. He did that and she saved him. She kept true to her word. So she, when she shows up, she is actually the true the true goddess, meaning that she has control over Venice until she leaves again. Uh, which is like so interesting from like a control point of view. She does. She goes up into the the box with the important people and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she has her lover do exactly what she told him to do. And he says, oh, it's the papal's birthday and no one should be executed and da da da. And and he, so so he plays out that script and she doesn't have to do anything. She is eloquent. She is or not eloquent. She doesn't say anything. She she's elegant and she sits there and she is, you know, absolutely just this this mm-hmm. royal goddess figure. And it's when she's like kind of she reveals herself and you look. I mean, like, honestly, I lost I lost my mind when I 
watched it again because I was like, this is so beautiful and how they're presenting her as this true goddess, as a, in a way, a foil to Victoria because Victoria, you know, is like this virginal princess mm-hmm. of Venice. She's supposed to be the kind of this ideal woman for Casanova and therefore the ideal bride of someone uh like him someone who has that reputation for venice and but then she comes along and she's like no i am the true mother of venice i am the goddess of venice and so she saves him and she saves all of them uh which and it almost like kind of like resets the the clock it almost resets the myth it's so interesting uh from a mythological kind of perspective but so yeah so they have like this like weird epic sword fight uh which actually fun aside i uh was in a shakespeare company when i was in high school or yeah when i was in uh yeah no i was uh yeah yeah so when i was like in in high school college like i was in the shakespeare kind of troop type of thing Mm -hmm. and i did sword choreography (laughs) and this scene was like on my radar for like years so mm-hmm. I was really into it and I actually like choreographed scenes based upon some of the stuff that happened in this one because it was just so cool. It was just so much fun and so mm-hmm. silly and it works. It translates really well to the stage in terms of like how stage combat goes. Uh, so so yeah, it was just like a really fun scene. So they all get onto the boat and they have to they have to get out and they have to decide like what's what is the fate of every character right this is like establishing like what what where is everyone going to fall what are their roles going to be um and i love this so victoria is held held back by her father and she has to say anyway because it's already established she's a goddess and then uh giovanni decides that he's gonna stay and he's going to take the role as Casanova. He's going to become the god of love. And Lupo says, I have to stay with my master. Mm. But that's not before Lupo, who saved the balloon, takes that balloon, takes the material that made the balloon out. And he rigs it up as a sail, which saves all of them, which is such a cool thing. So Victoria becomes kind of this goddess of love and Giovanni becomes kind of the god of love. They And they kind of live this weird non-monogamous lifestyle and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did want to emphasize uh, such an interesting way to kind of wrap up the whole theme of the earth versus the air, which is that when they, the solution to this whole thing is to take to the sea. So they rig up the balloon, they have they set sail to leave Venice, and they leave Venice via sailboat on the water, and it mm-hmm. rains. Yeah. So you have like multiple like water symbolism going on. And water is the great equalizer because it brings the air down and it brings earth up. It kind of like disrupts all of these things, but it's it flows. And Francesca and and Giacomo are both like all of these elements. They're fire, they're earth, they're air, and they're both water ultimately. But they're both water together Mm -hmm. in a way because 
water is where they can be themselves together. It's it's what kind of pulls them down or pulls them up, and it ha- it allows them to become equal with each other. And I just think that's such a cool kind of resolution to the whole story because yeah. it cools everything off in a way. It's um. I also so so the Christian iconography is throughout the movie, right? And it's like yeah. the Catholic Church is oh, they're the villains, right? I mean, for good reason. I mean, like uh, <laughs> the, the Catholic Church are the villains, like like and, and during that history, time, they definitely also, were. <laughs> well, I just I just mean I just mean quite literally in the world, the Catholic Church are the villains. Um, that's my opinion. <laughs> that's not necessarily tied. I don't want to speak for Ty, but that's my opinion. It, it's it's um, probably the, my opinion too. But they're, they're the bad guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, parade, parading around as the good guys, and they in this movie they are also that. So it's interesting yes. that Christian Christian symbolism isn't really used a lot in this, except um, like in subversive ways, like like seeing the Virgin Mary statue and and um, uh, a lot of the stuff that 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 Pucci does is uh, like there's a right. lot of there's a lot of like oh you know like like uh, 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 signing the cross and stuff like that that happens. It's like these are the bad guys though. Right. Right. But it's very interesting that at the very end of the film, you know, uh, we've been told by the church that God looks down on the actions of all of these characters as sinful and disgusting and debaucherous and blah, blah, blah. And we're supposed to believe that that's how God feels. But then at the very, very end, they are baptized. Right. Which (laughs) in in Christian symbolism to like to be to be. Yeah, to be immersed in the water, your you your 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 old self dies, your sin is is washed away, and you're reborn as a new person. And so the water comes down, but it's not normally baptism as a rite is it's a it's a ritual that we do where a, where a person who's been appointed, uh, whether they're a priest or whatever, has taken you into the water and they dunk you forcefully and then bring mm. you back up out of it. Yeah. Nothing to do with God, everything to do with man. Baptism, yeah. in my opinion, as someone who was raised Christian, baptism yeah. is a construct that we added. And actually, oh, yeah. if you're if you really listen to Christ, baptism doesn't have to happen, right? And he's actually oh, yeah. like like his cousin John the Baptist was actually a foil for Christ of like to show that like this is actually wrong. This is actually bad. This 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 <laughs> practice is actually incorrect. We're all equal whether like the highest, the lowest, no matter what you do, and all sins right. are forgiven because of what Christ does, right? In right. actual Christianity. So take that for what it is. That's my interpretation. That's how I that's how I live my life. Hey, I was I was actually raised Baptist. So that's really funny. There, that, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I agree. <laughs> but rain in this symbolically is a is a true baptism because it's coming from the heavens it's coming from god it's nature and it's also and it's also below them as well right so it's yeah, kind of yeah. like well this... they're they're floating on it as well yeah. right but like that right. water exactly. coming down from the sky from nature from a force outside of man mm-hmm. is is symbolizing that like no their sins are actually being washed away as they exactly. leave them exactly they leave yes. their old selves behind and they are now free to live the lives that they've always wanted to live, which is the lesson that the mother already knew. And mm-hmm. it's why she couldn't come back until now. Right. Yeah, she yeah. couldn't return to rescue him 
until he was ready. And he's not mm-hmm. ready until the two of them look across each other with these nooses around their necks and go, well, I guess that we die together. Right. Yeah. Like, and yeah. it's in that moment that then she's able to show up, save the day and the, the deus ex machina, which is like the, 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 the God literally intervening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, exactly. In order exactly. to save our heroes. It's like, like it all has to happen. And then the next time that we see them, they are living humble, happy lives because they have each other and they have family and they've found, they've both found these things that they've said the whole time that they're looking for, which is true. Uh, so this is like the best ending ever. Like this is how, this is how I want all of my enemies lovers to, like in (laughs) yeah it's just such a wonderful ending and also like you had brought up the fact that like the play within a play thing yeah um and how it it, it, there's like two moments within the movie where they show this and it's like oh like casanova casanova like this is who he is on the stage and a puppet for him whatever and francesca at the end she's like oh wait who writes your plays so she becomes their playwright and on the yeah. top of the in the epilogue type of thing they have like on top of the theater wagon a new play by Francesca Bruni and you can see it's starring Giacomo it's he's right there he's he's learning his lines she's helping him with the script and it's like the first time in his life where he can he is he is playing a character but ultimately he is himself he is mm-hmm. able to be himself, which is an actor. I just, I think it's, it's so, it's so beautiful. It's not explicit, yeah. uh, but it is really beautiful that he is able to just be himself, dedicating himself to Francesca and also being able to kind of wear those different masks as a talent in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just so cool. I yeah. <laughs> mean, what, meanwhile, the character of Casanova that he was, sort of saddled with because of that trauma he's left that behind but it still it persists with with giovanni but giovanni chooses to take on the character Mm. and so he's able to shoulder it in a way that giacomo didn't right he -hmm. was like the bird in the cage and like victoria like he was a prisoner of this persona that he thought he had to create because his yeah. trauma made him a prisoner of that and he gets away from it and th- that persona isn't the thing that was holding him back he was holding himself back right right so, so giovanni's able to take that persona and able to live inside of that and so and and victoria is also doing the same thing she is also the she's still that symbol of virginity she's still in white at the end of the movie right yeah um, yeah and yet and yet the two of them are free to be their true selves even though they've taken on these personas in venice which is which is another interesting piece at the end i mean again it just shows that they were always meant to be gods and goddesses of their own Mm. of their own like they always were meant to stay in this world and they were always meant to kind of be this these higher beings in a way Uh, because the very last shot we have of them is them floating in the canals which we know like in terms of symbolism uh the water is the great equalizer and they both look at different people (laughs) while they're sitting next to each other in the gondola so that was their way that they found equality with one another but they're also each have their own power he has a power as casanova and she has a power as victoria who has a reputation again which precedes her so 
it, it's so interesting how it all comes like full circle in a way. It's yeah, so brilliant. I, it's it it is it is so wonderful to like break down a movie like this that that you know is like a hidden gem that most people um have disregarded or completely yeah. misinterpreted and but for us to sit here and go like yeah but look at all of this like look at all of this because <laughs> so much of what shakespeare did in his time was considered like oh this is just trash this is not a, yeah this is that's not true good. yeah it was and for it, the masses yeah yeah it because it was ahead of its time and because it was uh because it required multiple engagements in order to understand Mm -hmm. right because because of the layers and the symbolism and everything it's like yeah you look at a story like this and it's like this is this is definitely in the spirit i mean like it's it's uh uh, it's it's funny how how so many things try to be shakespearean they try Mm. really really hard but something about this story and the way that it's presented it just like from the very beginning you're just like yeah if you if you know what you're looking for it's just so obvious it's so obvious and so then you can just ride that throughout the whole thing and once you have that perspective this is one of those things with with the prequels i bring it back to star wars to to close us out basically Uh, yeah is, is that like the the prequels were seen by the general audience as more star wars movies but that's not Mm. what george wanted to do if he wanted to make more star wars movies he would have kept going after return of the jedi right right but that's not what he did he stopped at return of the jedi and went well that type of story is done i'm done telling that story and he went and he told some other stories and then he eventually decides to come back and when he decides to come back and tell the story of the prequels they are shakespearean the old mm-hmm. republic the whole setting the way that everybody speaks mm. or at least is supposed to speak <laughs> it's all like the problem is that george i don't think ever let anybody know that that's what he was doing he never let the audience in on it he never let mm. i don't think he let the cast in on it i think that some of them understood innately and that's why ian mcdiarmid as palpatine is just one of the greatest performances in the history <laughs> of film even though a lot of the stuff that he does in the movies is so, is so arch and so out of place. It's like, it's out of place because you've got Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen trying to act, mm. right? They're, they're trying to just make a movie yeah. as opposed to <laughs> you've got Ian McDiarmid and you've got Ewan McGregor who are showing up to do Shakespeare. Right. right. I, along with several other actors. And you've got Samuel Jackson who is by no means a bad actor. Right. Mm. Samuel Jackson has given some amazing performances in his career. And yet he is as wooden as and flat as a piece of set dressing in those movies as Mace Windu because he's not in on it. Right. Mm. But if everybody can be in on it, if if the costume designers, the cinematographer, the directors, the, the, the writers, the actors, if everybody is in on it, you end up with a movie like this that is absolutely a perfect 10 by virtue of that because it's just absolutely it knows what it is it sets out to tell a certain type of story and it delivers on that type of story and it's not going to be for everybody right Mm. like this is one of those ones that it's like there are a lot of movies that we've talked about a lot of uh, tv shows and stuff where i can go like yeah like everybody should be able to enjoy this indiana jones right everybody should be able to enjoy indiana jones it's it's pulp 
fiction, right? Like that's yeah. why it's pulled. Mm. But this is one of those ones where it's like, mm, I'm not going to recommend this to everybody, but the people <laughs> I recommend this movie to, I know are going to love it. Yeah. I know they're going to love it. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that, that's, it's one of the reasons why like you suggested it. And I just didn't even question. I didn't <laughs> even question. Cause I was like, well, if Ty loves it, there must be something to love. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I was like, at, at the very least, it'll be a, it'll be fun because of Heath Ledger and I'll, it'll, yeah. it'll, be another, it'll be another piece of that. But then, like I said, at the beginning, you know, Oliver Platt shows up and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> right. And then, <laughs> And then Jeremy Irons and I'm like, this is this is the type of movie that this is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he pre- Oliver Platt presents himself when he when he enters, and it's like it is very much like it's there's stage direction there. You can read that in your clip yes. notes version of of the play where it's like Paprizio enters stage left, and <laughs> and then it's like he enters. Shakespeare would have used a specific word. And that yeah. specific word would have had like three sentences to explain to a ninth grader what that means. But what it means is he enters in a way that is like he's grandiose and he's ridiculous. And we yeah. know immediately this character is the clown, right? He's, that's he who, is that's kind his, of that's his role. He is kind of a Falstaff type character, uh, which is funny because like because Falstaff and Shakespeare was one of the most like beloved characters, hmm. but he was also someone to make fun of. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that shows it's truly the charm of Shakespeare it, is what they are playing with. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, there is an aspect to that. I feel like I have to talk about before we close out of, of Fabrizio's yeah. character, which is there are a lot of fat jokes made at his expense Yes, in this movie, but there are two things to this. Yes. Oliver Platt's I in on the joke. Know where this he, is going? Yes, he's he's absolutely in on the joke. Yes. It is also it's in the writing. It is text, not subtext. Mm-hmm. That's what she's into. Yes, <laughs> she yes. says it. Your father was. I don't like thin Your men. Father Your father was, was a bigger man, and ooh, yes. like you, you get a moment of it, and then when she sees him, she's like, "Oh boy, I like this guy," and it- then it's also a source of power so although it's a joke he lifts poochie off the ground and is like you have no authority over me exactly and it's just like and it's because he's a goliath right like he's a giant among the rest of these regular men yeah um and nobody sees him for what he is but it's in the moment that 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 uh that francesca's mother sees him Mm -hmm. and goes i love you for who you are yeah. Then he's able to draw from that power and he's able to go like, you don't, you can't tell me what to do. You, everybody else might be scared of you, but I'm not. And I'm I, just like, I love, I love that character so much because he, I love it. he, he owns it. He owns it. And that's yeah. why, so we're allowed to, we're allowed to laugh at the lard joke. We're allowed yeah. to laugh at more. Yeah. A little bit more on the belly, right? Like we're allowed yeah. to laugh at that stuff because we know that, that he's also laughing at it, but yeah. that it's also going to be, he's going to be redeemed by it and he's going to save the day because of it. Right. Like oh, absolutely. Well, so. he, the, the, the best lighted scene of the entire movie is the scene where, uh, Paprizio and Francesca's mother are in the back of the gondola. And because mm. they're both in the back and there's no one in the front, the entire thing is lifted up out of the water except yeah. for the the back and the other gondola has to kind of like go under the bridge of 
of their gondola in a way. Yeah. yeah. And it is incredibly well lit. It's just, it's a beautiful, like, it's very odd that they did this, but it's a yeah. beautiful scene. It's coming off of the, the falling action of what occurred before. But wh- I'm just like, this is such a weird movie. Like, I cannot believe this was. Oh, it, it just, <laughs> it, it filled me with such delight in that moment yeah. when, when she looks across the, 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 the dance floor and sees him. And I'm like, uh, Oh, she's in love. She's, she's actually going to be in love she, because she's been talking the whole time about like, well, we have to do this. It's for, you know, like for our position in society and blah, blah, blah. Duty. Got, it's all about duty. duty. Yeah. All these bad reasons to, to, to marry. And, yeah. And it's all implying she, it's a, this is her marriage, not, not Francesca's, yeah. right? It belongs to her, not to Francesca. And then it <laughs> literally belongs to her. And I'm just like, it's so beautiful. It's such it a is. great way to do that. Um, you speak it of lighting. There is a, there's a moment that I also want to call out in this movie that, that was <laughs> so good that I made Crystal watch. I, we rewound it and I had to watch it two times. Oh, really? When, when Poochie, is introduced and he like in the scene where he's talking to Francesca. So he's talking to everybody. He's addressing the whole room. Right. And uh-huh. he's, and he's lit evenly. Everybody's lit evenly. Mm-hmm. So we're all, we're all in the same space. Everybody's going back and forth, but then this, this, this tete-a-tete sort of starts between the two of them and he makes his way around everybody else. And he steps into the light from the window and as as he steps into the light from the window, it throws him into stark contrast. So he's got bright. It's actually he's in terms of like like uh, cinematography, he's actually blown out on one side and he's too deep in the shadow on the other. It's yep. to somebody who doesn't know what they're looking at and who isn't paying attention to what that means symbolically in the story. You'd be like, that's a really poorly lit scene. But <laughs> I'm watching it. and I go like what they just did in that moment and i bet in, on film it probably looked better like like i'm what i mean is like projected back mm. on film and in 2005 right it would have been a crapshoot of like is this going to be a digital projection or or actual like 35 millimeter because mm. it wasn't True. until like probably about 2008 that most theaters had fully converted and that was because of 3d right right Which Ava- avatar did that so mm. So in 2005, like this would have, for most people, they would have seen this on on actual film, in which case that contrast would have been softened just a little bit. When we watch it digitally and we watch it on our LED screens and all that, it's more, more, more than it would have been. Um, But it, it, it's the purpose of it in the storytelling from a visual, like from a cinematography standpoint, is that it tells us immediately not that just that he's the villain of the story, but that he is truly evil. Right? Yeah. Because everybody else is existing in, in like, like on even footing in like a, in like a real, not a real world. Cause it is a cartoon, but like they're all occupying the same space. He mm-hmm. suddenly is like, he is a devil in that mm. moment because mm-hmm. of the way that he's lit. <clears throat> and Although he is standing in the light because he moves into the light. He doesn't move into the darkness mm. because of who he is, because of the position that he holds in the story as as a representative of the church. He stands in the light, but he's so far into the light that it's actually a bad thing. 
right? And so right. like he's he's standing so deep into the light from that window that it's that it's revealing his true self on the other side, mm-hmm. which is which is that he's in darkness. Like he is actually completely in darkness right. because he's actually an evil person. He is actually the devil. And I was just like like that <laughs> I was like that camera it's not a camera move it's all staging it's all blocking right yeah but that moment of cinematography is so well executed that like i just i had to experience it twice like i was like i gotta go back and watch that again and crystal got mad at me because she was like she hates it when i do stuff like that she just (laughs) she just wants to watch the movie yeah sitting there going like but did you see that because it's the sort of thing that i envy in a filmmaker where it's like oh my god that's just so brilliant to yep. have him just step into the brilliant. light, not into shadow. Because most of the time we would have a character in the shadow step into the light to like show them as a hero or something like that. But yeah. it, was, it was used to subvert that of like he's stepping into the light to show that he's bad. Yeah, well, that's the rest. Of, it tracks with the rest of the film and what they're doing with yeah. elements, right? It's like, yeah. well, light is not necessarily you know, good and dark is not necessarily evil kind of thing. Like, and I, I wish they, you know, in a way, I, again, this goes back to like, if I made this film today, I would probably do this differently. Uh, like, but the fact that like, they're playing with all these elements that is so interesting. And the next time I watch it, I'm going to have to look out for that because every time I watch it, I, I do find different things in it. Like, for example, the last thing, last time I really, you know, watched it was I found the amount of time they really gave uh, Giacomo's mother when she came back and like how she mm. was kind of lifted up as this goddess almost floating like she floated when she came down those stairs like it was just mm-hmm. such a beautiful scene uh, and I, I just cried I cried and I cried I was like oh my god this is so beautiful uh, but yeah every time I watch this movie I find different things so that's that's so cool that's, that's so awesome. cool I love it Cool. Uh, I th- well, I think we did it. I think we did I, it. I We're, think we did it. <laughs> I that's awesome. I think we we've we've covered everything that we needed to cover for sure. And yeah. I, I I think I think we've made the case that this movie is absolutely a perfect ten. Um, yes, <laughs> definitely. We did done do it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> as, as my husband would say. <laughs> Where uh, where where can people find more of your uh, brilliant insights? Uh, oh, my, my, my words, not your own, but but, so but absolutely brilliant insights. Where where can people find that? Uh, I appreciate it. I I have I've been in a, a creative dry spell because I have too many things to catch up on, and it's summertime <laughs> and it's difficult. Uh, but I am on uh, YouTube. I make. YouTube videos, if you guys don't know, under Wit and Folly. My next one is going to be about As Above, So Below, which is a horror movie, which is totally out of the realm of what I usually do, but it has an alchemical nexus, which is interesting. So I'm excited about that. Um, And obviously, I'm on uh, Twitter under uh, Black underscore T-Y-M, and I also under uh, at underscore or (laughs) I never, I don't say this a lot often. Yeah. At wit underscore folly is my kind of like YouTube Twitter. So yeah, you can follow me there. Awesome. And absolutely do all of those things. Um, and go go back. If you haven't listened to our episode uh, talking about A Knight's Tale and you enjoyed yeah. this one, then definitely go back and listen to that. And look forward to the inevitable conclusion of our Heath Ledger trilogy as we talk about 10 Things I Hate About You yes. uh, at some point. 
probably in the next 12 months. I, I, (laughs) (laughs) this has been awesome. Uh, It is always such a pleasure. So uh, thank you for being on the podcast again. Uh, And, uh, and I I hope everybody else enjoys this episode as much as I enjoy getting to record with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's always awesome. Um, Our next episode is going to be another returning guest. See, I've cycled through all the people, not all the people, but I've cycled through a bunch of the people that I want to have on. And now I'm going back to other people. Uh, Our next episode is going to be, I, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the 1990s, <gasps> and uh, and and Missy is going to be coming back to talk <gasps> about that with me, um, because it turns out that she's a huge Ninja Turtles fan. I've discovered this. You know, we were talking on Twitter, and she was like, "I love Ninja Turtles," and I was like, "There's a new Ninja Turtles movie coming out, so I want to talk about the perfect Ninja Turtles movie, which is the 1990s one." I uh, and uh, so yeah, that'll be our next episode in August. So look forward to that. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to Mutant Mayhem, which is mm-hmm. going to be an awesome movie um, that you can just tell by the trailers that it's going to be so so good. I uh, but uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take a trip back to 1990 and uh, I and and enjoy what I think is actually one of the best comic book movies ever made. So <laughs> um, so look forward to that. Uh, and of course, <clears throat> you can also find me over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Thunderquack with a, a off the record, which is the exclusive Thunderquack podcast that we do. Uh, I I do it. It's just me. It's usually just me talking to myself. But I, I it's where I talk about all of the sort of more current pop culture stuff. And that's available to all Patreon supporters as well as I. I so we've kind of we kind of changed things up a little bit recently where there's only one tier on Patreon now and all rewards are available to everybody who supports. So it's, it's $5 and you get uh, every other week you get an episode of off the record. Uh, and then um, you get this podcast early. So you would have gotten this on, on Tuesday instead of Friday. Uh, if you, if you are current and listening as they, as they release, but you also get on the Friday, the, the, uh, the perfect 10 pop quiz, which is our, trivia podcast that accompanies every episode of perfect 10 um where where tim dipple uh, takes you into 10 trivia questions about the topic so i'm very interested to see what trivia questions he has for this episode i think that they'll be great he does such a good job with that the best thing is that like i don't give him the episode beforehand he's off researching and doing his stuff to write his trivia like while i'm uh, editing this basically and so he goes off and he does his thing but every single time it comes back together and it's like you asked 90 percent of the questions that have been asked on perfect 10 pop quiz coincide with topics of things that we discussed in the episodes it's just it it's it's magic how it always seems to work so i'm really curious with this one because i think this one is probably our most like out there episode so far maybe maybe laura olympus is a little bit more out there but (laughs) the one that i did with marie claire but but it's pretty out there so i'm interested to see how in sync the trivia questions are with what we talked about but that's a that's a reward that is just for patreon supporters so if you want to get that pop 10 a perfect 10 pop quiz uh, then that is the way to get it is over at patreon.com slash thunderquack. Um, and I'll also just note that, um, that I've just, uh, this week we'll be concluding our Obi-Wan Kenobi retrospective that me and uh, Marty Alleman have been doing on force perspectives. So we've done, uh, 
the first five parts and we'll, we'll be concluding this week actually with, or we will have by the time this episode is out for the general public, we will have concluded our six part retrospective on the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which has been a lot of fun to dig back into that uh, a year later. So um, go check that out. And uh, yeah, we've got Ahsoka coming up at the end of August. So look forward to that on force perspectives. Uh, and that's it. That's a, that's everything that I'm going to promote right now. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you again, Ty, for being on this episode. Uh, I can't wait to have you back. And mm-hmm. I, I will see you guys on the next episode. Thunderquack Perfect 10 is hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Follow us on Twitter at ThunderQuackPod, on Instagram at ThunderQuackPodcast, on Facebook at ThunderQuack, and join us on Discord at ThunderQuack.com slash Discord. Support the podcast by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack to get early access, bonus episodes, and the Thunderquack Perfect 10 pop quiz. Thunderquack Perfect 10 is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Thank you.